This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where we proudly celebrate Force Your Daughter to Work Day. I'm your host, the Tony Danza of the AB Stanza, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today as always. Henry Gilbert, and that's what we call the gay guy who lives with us. And who is our special guest on the line? This is Brendan James and I've been taken down a peg. A whole peg! And this week's episode is Little Girl in the Big Ten. So what does this cartoon mean? It shows how the depletion of our natural resources has pitted our small farmers against each other. Yes. And birds go tweet. What else? Hey, that's our podcast. <laughs> yep. uh, this week's episode originally aired on May 12, 2002. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, boy, Bobby. Jimmy Carter is the first former U.S. president to visit Cuba since the revolution. The WWF becomes the WWE. And Attack of the Clones is released in a movie theater. Jimmy Carter is smarter. <laughs> Yes. It's true. Homer was right. Uh, if only we had an expert in Cuba and Cuba's history uh, here with us to talk about. Of that all moment. the luck. Too bad. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good one. Jimmy Carter, um, he features in season three of Blowback as well because he made peace between the U.S. and uh, North Korea in a very important moment as well. So I know we're all thinking about him recently because he's ill and there's a lot of debate about the legacy and all that. And I let's just say it's persuasive to me that the post presidency is uh, has you have much more to point to than the actual presidency itself. But hey, you got to give him credit for something. I've, I've seen uh, a few, oh, he's about to die type apology articles coming out lately, including, oh, I'm sorry I got mad about peace, not apartheid book. I guess he was right. <laughs> as <laughs> People were so mad about that book when that came out. Yeah, which was, as I recall, honestly, a pretty like kind of centrist take on. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. He's never, he's never, you know, really dropping anything too spicy. He just represents that kind of mainstream or formerly mainstream figure who can just admit now that a lot of stuff isn't the way it should be. But in season four, actually, um, not to jump into a plug already, but we are, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about his presidency. That's yeah, very, it's a very different, uh, it's a very different track record there. You know, and if, if the news about Jimmy Carter is depressing you, uh, all you need to do is look up that photo from a few years ago of Joe Biden towering <laughs> over them as the, him and his wife are just shriveled up in little chairs behind him. It's very adorable. And uh, Joe, Biden, Joe Biden looks terrifying in that photo, actually. Yes. It looks like a still from an Ari Aster uh, movie to me. It's just everything's, something's not right. You know, it's uncanny. It's like weird force perspective. And uh, yes, the big news, uh, I don't bring wrestling stuff into it too much, but this was a big Oh, you don't, do the, you? <laughs> oh, actually I do. That's why. This I, reminds uh, me of the Vancouver Screwjob. <laughs> but, uh, but so, it had always been known as the World Wrestling Federation, but they had a deal with the World Wildlife Foundation that they would never advertise themselves as the WWF outside of America. Uh, and then they just 
just decided, nah, we are going to do that. And so they just did. And then the World Wildlife Federation actually did sue them and they lost. So uh, they got the F out was their uh, campaign where they're like, you know what? Actually, we like not being the WWF anymore. And we're really more the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment anyway. And we like it. So, yes, the, the World Wildlife Federation uh, defeated Vince McMahon and forced it to change their name to what they still are to this day. The only the only and last time he would ever be defeated uh, in, in his <laughs> God. life. It seemed like Legally. he was defeated, but uh, he's, he's back. <laughs> I now guess. And, I uh, guess it's not even a joke. Uh, he came no, back. He's, we'll see if he sells to the Saudis uh, to get the big that that uh, big big paycheck, and then they're not going to fire him for uh, alleged sexual abuse. I don't think. Well, uh, then it'll be the WWE, the World Wahhabist. Uh, uh, entertainment. <laughs> this uh, this never felt right to me until recently. Actually, I don't really think of a lot about WWE, but I it just I would stumble over that every time because F sounds so much better. It it's what's encoded in my brain. Yeah. It I does. Know. It sounds cooler. It sounds harsher. I remember when I was a kid. You know, there's adults in your life where they offer explanations with authority because they're adults, but you kind of get the sense that that's bullshit. And it's the first time you really begin to think maybe grownups don't always know what they're talking about. WWF became the WWE and the person told me that's because uh, legally they weren't a real federation. So they had to change the name. And I was like, what the fuck does that even does that even mean? They weren't a real federation like a government. How does that work? So nothing I, like I, those guys on Star Trek at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I didn't really get the true story till so much later and uh yes attack of the clones it was a big deal was the battle of spider-man and star wars and spider-man proved more culturally dominant and uh critically praised than star wars thus setting up for the current world we live in where uh superhero movies are bigger than star wars now i really dodged a bullet i almost saw this movie <laughs> a friend i was working with got me tickets we were going to go together at midnight and he got some for my girlfriend at the time too and i told her about it and she said do you really want to see that movie and i had to admit to myself no. <laughs> so to date, I have not seen it outside of it uh, as a riff tracks. Have not oh, seen okay. it. I think I saw it in theaters. I think I was there for the first two in theaters because I was like eight years old. It was. Um, I think it's gen generally the consensus now that it's the worst of of the three prequels. Although I would argue they pr get progressively worse, but a lot of people think Clones is really just. Uh, I, it was a new low for everybody. Yeah, I, I think Clones is now the decided upon worst one. Also because people don't want to be mean to jake lloyd anymore so you can't which he was a child actor and everybody was too awful to him so i i get that too but i i'd say attack of the clones is i did like the space shootout fight with Django fett chasing after obi-wan i thought that was cool but i'll admit in the theaters at the very start of the yoda fight i did like it uh i was because i always uh, and i was 20 i wasn't eight like uh, like Brent. hey your brain was still developing <laughs> but but you know it was one of those moments of I had had Yoda toys as a kid and I always thought man what if I put a lightsaber in his hand that'd be pretty cool and so when he starts doing it in the movie I'm like yeah yeah and then it uh it all becomes very fake and ugly looking Henry that is almost there's a non-zero chance that's exactly how George Lucas came to his own decision to put it in the film I mean <laughs> I think there's a clip of him like talking to the special effects guy who looks mortified about what he's been asked to do and George Lucas is like now we're gonna see that little green guy really just just wave that lightsaber around and really just go to town and you gotta be you just looking at the effects guy's face and he's like oh no uh, I don't want to do this but it, I I don't know I I having 
rewatched them recently, I genuinely think Phantom Menace, at the very least, looks better because they are actually shooting on location for a little bit. Like, they're actually in a desert for a big part of that movie. You got the pod racing scene. Those two sequels after that, everything is a fucking green screen. Every mm-hmm. shot is this, like, lifeless screensaver background with no art to it and no sort of, you know, concern for lighting or dramatic blocking or anything. So I kind of, I, I kind of think Phantom Menace is the best of the three at this point and clones is yeah i don't even think that the boba fett dad boba fett's dad could save could save that one uh, it must be said though this was the birth of the advertising tagline huda man yoda man which was yeah. used to sell the dvd and they would just show clips of him flipping around like a little monkey oh, man. oh. yeah you don't remember I missed that. that. No, I yeah. if I purged it from my memory, maybe, but yeah. It was endlessly mocked by me and my college chums <laughs> at the time. Spider-Man was a better film. Let's just let's just all agree there that it's a fun movie. But but let it not be said that George Lucas isn't a pioneer because now that's how every movie is filmed with very lifeless green screen yep. and empty backgrounds and including Spider-Man movies. Yep, uh, yeah. themselves. <laughs> uh, so he, yeah, he always wins at the end. I've I've grown to love him actually as he's become less responsible for making films because he he's actually got some insightful things to say. He built that that low income housing when all the rich people got mad at him. He's he's an interesting and and likable um, eccentric billionaire. I think. So joining us again is Brendan James of the Blowback Podcast. Welcome back to the show, Brendan. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. I think last time I was here, what was it was an old it was an old school episode. It was a golden era, right? Yeah, it was the first Fat Tony episode. All right, right. the murderer with Joe Montagna, and that that was a lot of fun. And now we're back in the the later zone. But I I promise I won't be as um, cranky as I was the first time that I was made to watch a non golden era. <laughs> Simpsons. I, I can assure you, Henry and I will be cranky. We were we'll cranky about cranky. this episode before the uh, recording. Yes, yeah. I liked this one better than the one we did the first time I came on. So oh, the maybe there'll be one. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. There'll be a spirited debate, maybe, and I'll I'll end up defending. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be defending the later era. Uh, I think now. it is better, at least in terms of uh, animation direction, and maybe it's funnier. But mm. I guess we'll get into it. Uh, Brandon, you're currently prepping for the the fourth season of your great podcast, Blowback, which I believe is dedicated to the gallant people of Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it always has been. But uh, yeah, we're doing the saga, the long saga of Afghanistan. So if people don't know uh, my show Blowback, we talk about stuff like the Iraq war in our first season, the secret war on Cuba that becomes the missile crisis. In the second season, our third season we did last year was about the Korean War um, uh, and trying to, you know, kind of turn that into as as accessible and significant a war as our many, many other great wars because it's overlooked. And then this year we're going to be doing Afghanistan. It's a it's a bigger season. It's it's a longer stretch of time and a more sort of epic scope than we've ever done before. So I th- not to sound like George Lucas <laughs> talking about uh, the prequels, but uh, it does feel fresh in a way for us and a little challenging in that regard. But I think it'll pay off. It's going to be a lot of characters, you know, a lot of characters you didn't know you knew. And of course, yeah, the Mujahideen, the the shadowy Bush family, you know, going all the way up through Obama years and into the Biden years right now, because obviously Afghanistan has been in in the damn news uh, after we, we withdrew. And we'll take a look at kind of how all this came together for um, for the withdrawal. So it, sh- it should be interesting uh, to fit I- this episode into the timeline oh. of, uh, of America with Afghanistan. Uh, this is Brandon's first post 9-11 episode. And, and when this aired, George W. Bush had just announced a $38 billion plan to reconstruct the country of Afghanistan after the invasion. And I'm sure that all went great, right? 
apron in it. Yes, uh, that's yeah. the conclusion we reached in the show, which you know you just you just spoiled it. But yeah, that's the problem. Everything went fine. We have nothing to talk about. Yeah, and I and I think the the last one I w- watched was the Navy the Navy recruitment uh, episode, right? Where it was right before nine eleven. I should have been quicker on my toes that episode, but uh, you know we were basically talking then about how the Simpsons were like probably a lot of at least liberal entertainment were like, do we really have to have a military anymore? I mean, what's the big deal? And I, I forgot to mention, you know, the salient points. We were we did just go to war in Kosovo at that point. I mean, we were still doing lots of lots of imperialism and stuff like that. But then the Iraq war happens and it's all very much in the front burner again. And I guess we're here now in, in the Simpsons world. Well, you know, all of our listeners have 9-11 on their Talking Simpsons bingo card. And I'll tell you what, there is a whopper of a 9-11 story because this is basically the last episode table read before 9-11. Uh, And that ties into the guest and how he uh, almost died on a fateful plane trip. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, I I had forgotten this story. Bob reminded me, like, this commentary has a crazy story on it. Unfortunately, though, this is one of the problems with this DVD set. Al Jean got a bunch of guests uh, for commentaries, which is a good idea because they can talk about, like, oh, that was, like, recording it. But they spend so much time talking to the guests. We saw this with Delroy Lindo. We saw this with Stan Lee. We saw this with James Lipton, and now we're seeing it with Robert Pinsky. They spend so much time in the DVD commentary talking to the guests. They barely talk about the episode or how it was written or any of the historical stuff we kind of want from listening to a commentary. I mean, at least Delroy Lindo left the Skype calls. It sounds like it almost became a podcast, which sounds awful. I mean, Yuck. <laughs> not into that because because don't they do that with commentaries sometimes where they basically take interviews and they're like, we didn't really get the director in for a commentary. So we're just sprinkling in like throughout the film, a totally distinct track that kind of situates you in a commentary. And I guess this mm-hmm. is the opposite of that, where they are supposed to be doing a commentary. But they're instead basically doing an interview. I remember Goodfellas has that where it's oh. just like Scorsese would not sit down for a commentary that I don't know if he does them now, but he nobody does them now. But he didn't he didn't sit down for it then. And it was just like, well, here's a bunch of interviews we've had. And then we'll also splice in like Henry Hill interviews and stuff, too. And it, I never I never listened to the Goodfellas one um, I, I, I guess if he's an old man now, maybe he'll, he would like to you know sit back and watch his films and, and talk and not have to do lines of blow uh, in, in preparation. <laughs> for his next project um allegedly if his influencer daughter tells him to do it he'll do it yes uh so maybe wolf of wall street by the way you know um friend of the show will menneker wrote the um essay for the wolf of wall street uh, re- release that's going to come out the uh, 4k of the blu-ray so i don't know if it's out in the states yet but i remember seeing his name when i was going to buy it and i was like oh shit that's fun that's fun for him <laughs> maybe there's a scorsese commentary on it the only good part of the commentary though is that uh matt selman is a little stinker on the commentary asking lots of funny <laughs> questions because he didn't go to harvard he went to an ivy league university lower on the vine he went to uh <laughs> university of Pennsylvania. So he asked some funny questions and Robert Pinsky mostly has a sense of humor about them. But I did like when Matt Selman asked, like, the poor laureates for the Bush administration, were they a bunch of dummies? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's like, well, were they stupid? They're stupid, right? And he's the only one with the guts to make a Lewinsky joke to, to Pinsky as well. But my, I had a friend in college who um, studied under Pinsky. And when that oh, came really? up in the episode, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I won't I won't call him out by name, but he he was a poet and he studied with Pinsky. It was it sounded cool. Well, and uh, this, I, as you said, Bob, this is a highly Harvard episode because you've got John Vitti is the credited writer uh, who is obviously a Harvard chum of, uh, of Al Jean and, and a regional 
classic writer, one of the best writers, really, of the series. And director, Lauren McMullen, president of the Harvard Lampoon, right after Conan O'Brien. So, who also, one of the, and I, I said it before, I'll try not to repeat this too much on it, but I do think that McMullen's Harvard status, which is actually above Al Jean, because Al Jean was not president of the Lampoon, he was just uh, on staff with it. I scum. Forget his t- <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolute scum. <laughs> so, I think that McMullen, when she comes with him with ideas that other directors might get shot down and she's like, hey, can I embellish this or do this thing? Gene has to follow the Harvard rule of like, well, I guess he's, he's like right. Mr. Burns in the Stonecutters, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and we should point out, in case you don't know, we interviewed him for our Patreon, Laura McMullen, and she is an Oscar winner. Yes. Yeah. At this point. For, for the episode amazing. with you guys? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. The special podcast category. <laughs> oh, congrats. Uh, yeah. No, that is a category probably now at, at the Oscars. Uh, only on the technical Oscars. That sounds okay. more like a BAFTA to me. Uh, you're, you're right. Joke. You're right. <laughs> no, uh, but, but yeah, this, uh, I mean, this also, John Vitti wrote like four or five episodes this season that I think really he just like did freelance, wasn't in the rewrite room for, and this definitely feels like a good script that got rewritten into a worse script. I, I not as good script. I still think there's good stuff in it, but I think they got, especially the third act. I think they yes. did a lot of rewrites on. They're dancing the old third act rewrite shuffle in this mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> and yes, uh, a, another history thing for it. I just, I, I watched the film the boy in the plastic bubble for this though the riff tracks version i did not watch the the regular version but you get you get the gist yeah of yeah it. yeah seems like and, a lot of um film experiences you mediate through through riff tracks just as a just a hedge you know it helps it really helps and well this you can see why every gen xer remembers this because it was such a mega event movie as like his welcome back cotter debuted the year before so travolta is the breakout star of it but everybody, th- but he does a stupid accent in it, and he's just a comedy guy. So this was supposed to be the TV movie that proved he can do dramatic stuff too. Like this is going to be his big moment, and he's got Mike Bra- Mr. Brady in it as well. Uh, oh, as, um, oh his yeah, R- uh, Robert Reed. Yeah, and and it was a big TV movie event, and it's directed by the guy who would then direct him in Greece two years later hmm. uh, for Travolta. It's also interesting because you know you've got Mr. Brady in there who was uh, living a life as a closeted gay man uh back then and of course john travolta would have no reason to identify with that at all <laughs> uh no similarities to his <laughs> life um it, you know it is fun to see the impact these 70s made for tv movies had on people of this generation because we have this we have the loneliest runner we have Brian's song we have the trilogy of terror so many of these made for tv movies were parodied endlessly in our childhoods i, I think also it was sort of not to bring it back to politics again, but I think William Sapphire, who was this former Nixon guy who became a conservative bon vivant in the pages of, of the New York Times, I think he called Clinton in some way, like in the bubble or, or the boy in the bubble. And then it started to have this kind of cultural resurgence as people were like, what the fuck is the boy in the bubble? What are you talking about? And so, cause the, the movie was the seventies, right? It was before. 76, yeah. Greece, yeah. So it, it might have had a second life as a cultural meme or whatever, as a as a weird <laughs> a weird put down from a conservative columnist at Bill Clinton's expense. Well, and soon after that, in the Clinton administration in September of 1992, is the Seinfeld episode parodying it. Yeah, yes. they're a little late to the uh, to the party here. 
And it, I mean, the name of the movie is very misleading because he's in a bubble, but it's more of like a, a bubble in terms of his state of being in that he's not walking around in a hamster ball. He's usually in a room that's sealed off or like being carted around in like a, a tent, basically, yeah, like a, like like a, a walled-in tent. In a, or a terraria. And he gets like a spacesuit in the movie, too, that like NASA... Buzz Aldrin gives it to him. It's not like Jake Gyllenhaal's Bubble Boy. No, see, that's also why I think I was a little eye-rolling when this episode first aired, too, because I was like, Bubble Boy came out six months before this. I mean, we all saw it. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> I, I didn't see it. It, it. You know, it's a better movie than The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's a very cheesy right before 9-11 type uh, Adam Sandler-esque movie with Jake Gyllenhaal in the lead uh, with being very, very silly. One other fun, uh, sad behind-the-scenes story of it is that the woman who played Travolta's mother, Diana Highland, she dated him while working on the movie like they dated she was 40 and he was 22 it's weird to date the woman playing your mom in the movie uh but sadly though within a year of that she dies from breast cancer she gets a posthumous emmy for this tv movie and uh, yeah it's feel so i you know for all the beard jokes one could make about this with uh, travolta now it's just it takes some of the fun out of it you yeah. know well you didn't but, have to bring it up henry you know, we <laughs> well, then uh, also don't Google what happened to the real kids who had autoimmune deficiencies, who oh, they uh, unauthorized biography of this. They, yeah, it's, Let's uh, just say they didn't see Bubble Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or this episode uh, too busy is what I heard yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy uh, okay there are, there are going to be two big landmines in this episode just to warn everybody and I gave a cliffhanger for one but another yeah. one might surprise you although we have talked about it before <laughs> but uh, but alright why don't we get into the episode uh, itself uh, enough making fun of John Travolta <laughs> the, uh, okay so this opening uh, with uh, Pommel Horse this is another thing that I think I'm holding against this episode that too many plot lines remind me of other episodes hmm this thing this is the setup of lisa on ice lisa is failing jim and has to take an extracurricular thing to not fail jim like it's in, in this case it sends her to gymnastics before it sent her to hockey so it's like uh, i don't know it's it's such a similar setup and, then, and and there's a there's a foreign um hard, hard, hard-nosed instructor right doesn't susan sarandon play the isn't she foreign in the oh she's the ballet teacher for Bart, oh, ballet but yes, well there's another similar there's another for Bart, yeah. but uh, that said, oh, yeah, Bart's going to fail too. Yeah, yeah. As someone who failed gym multiple times uh, in my life, I found it realistic that they were back at this same problem. Um, it happens all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is a rare appearance of Mrs. Pommel Horst, uh, a character probably named in season one. She's got one of those on the nose season one names because a Pommel Horse is a gym equipment piece, and then Pommel Horst is a German name. But no one hits that T hard enough, so the pun is lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until looking at the wiki later in life i realized like oh her name isn't just pummel horse the the thing i yeah i you know i triple check this on the wikis that list all of the character appearances i could still be wrong but i think this is actually her first spoken line uh, mm. and, uh, well there's some debate if the the teacher who gets mad at lisa and moaning lisa is or isn't pummel horse because it is a similar design and everybody looks the same in season mm. one but uh it's not the same voice mm. but then in PTA disbands she is re- she is referred to but she doesn't speak in it like Miss Bommel Horse I'd like to get down now I, I th- can think of one thing what about the teacher who swallowed her favorite whistle 
Is that oh, her? Yes. Okay. I think that. Okay, that one is her. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's her. For, thank you, Bob. Yeah. Bam. It popped into my head. Yeah. Uh, but I think I know why they don't have her back because it's just easy butch lesbian jokes is is what you do with her. Like that's the bit. And and in season seventeen, there's actually a, a rather transphobic joke uh, thrown in her direction. Uh, that they say that uh, she's going to come back as Mr. Pommel Horse after the summer, uh, and then uh, and then they don't even follow through that she's she's just mrs pommel horse the next time you see her so. maybe that was a mr garrison didn't south park make mr garrison transition and then for like actually a season yeah they're or probably two? just ripping that off yeah yeah sure. it might have been or maybe then that happened and they were like oh we can't do this now i don't know it's a t- it's a terrible loss for the show i'm sure uh but yes as as they're about to do the uh the gymnastics i also note like oh mcmullen i'm gonna think it was her intentionally had francine the bully from her bye bye nerdy episode in the group with all the other girls uh though though also i mean it's there's only so many girls like they they say this is second grade gym but clearly sherry and terry are participating in it, and they're fourth graders yeah so. there, there aren't a lot of second grade students uh that lisa or bart hang out with mm-hmm. like ralph and Janie, I guess, yeah, and Janie's that's it. Second, yeah. yeah, Does that happen a lot? I was watching an episode with a friend of mine the other day, and I, I'd never noticed this. I think it was the Twisted World of, of Marge Simpson pretzel episode. And on the way to the pre- to the pretzel or pita van, you can see Mindy, or who's the woman Homer almost has an affair with. Yeah, uh, she's Simmons, just in yeah. the crowd, and they're at the nuclear plant. And I'm like, oh yeah, she just still works there, and her and Homer just don't talk, I guess. But it's it's definitely her. And I'm like, oh, they're putting in characters. Uh, I, I don't know if that happens a lot on the show, but it stuck out to me that they took the time to actually include an old character in a, just a visual reference. But yeah, it used to uh, happen a bunch in which a guest character, if they weren't like drawn to be a character of a celebrity, they would often work their way into uh, the extras. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because they just need to fill a scene with people. How about Mindy Simmons? How about uh, Allison Taylor from uh, Lisa's Rival? Like you right. see these people a lot. They never speak again, of course. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and in these teen seasons, we definitely notice a lot more uh, economical character design. Where the they're like, why are we going to design a new nurse? Like we just have this old nurse from season seven. We'll just put her there. But yes, uh, Millhouse is strangling himself, uh, and I like Willie's supportiveness. But I'm like, big smile, big smile. <laughs> Uh, and so Lisa, there's a fun bit of animation of Lisa failing at the springboard and bouncing back into all the other girls and they all fall over like dominoes. This is when Lisa learns that she's about to be failed. Lisa, Jim isn't just about encouraging fitness. It's also about exposing weakness. Check minus. Are you mad, Brunella? You can't fail, Lisa. She's the only child keeping this school accredited. Without her, we'd have to release these children back into the forest. So let's just turn that minus into a plus. Skinner, I took an oath. And by Xena, this girl's failing Jim. Perhaps we could get her a private coach? Well, I know a coach, but he's tough. He defected into East Germany. The sword clash and the defected into East Germany line. I, I, I thought those were fun. Now the Byzina line, that's just a joke about lesbians. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and you know what, Bru- uh, Brunella, that's a good new first name for her. Yeah, like it, it's one of those we're finally giving this person a first name jokes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the sword fight is well animated too. Like it actually feels like mm-hmm. an action-y sword fight. And so, yes, they're talking about Lugash. We talked about him before with Children of a Lesser Clod, but this 
this is his bigger return i think i bet it's another of those things of like when like when they heard dan first do willie they're like oh this is great we got to bring willie back so a season ago they heard him do lugosh and they're like man this guy's actually this guy's pretty funny let's have him come back let's have his catchphrase be i am lugosh (laughs) and then he's just kind of never seen again he just becomes a background extra basically so i guess he was being this character feels like he was being auditioned for could this be like a sideshow mel guy who could yell things out from a crowd perhaps but there wasn't a lot of uh material really with lugosh and we went over in children of a lesser claude but he is based on the real life gymnastics coach uh, bela caroli and he's notable these days because uh this is not funny but the recent women's gymnastics uh, sex scandal uh with all the sexual assault cases a lot of them took place at his gym uh and that's not funny but that's just what happened so there yeah. you have it that's yeah. that's why his name might have been thrown around a lot lately i didn't realize that he was a, a character who'd shown because you know sorry i haven't seen any of these seasons so I, I didn't know he was already in the show i thought he was just a one one episode gag guy which i guess he's a two episode gag instead i i think he does have a line here or there in the future but this this is the most feature he gets to do to do the thing that's obvious that he would do which is teach gymnastics to lisa who is a young girl i mean the joke in his first appearance was him calling lisa a grandma for being eight years old because right. Uh, they start young, which that's a darker joke now. Um, but but yeah, I mean, this was because at the at the time, uh, Bela was famous for I believe it was Nadia Comaneci carries off of the or was uh, it was it was one of his his students, and of course they they liked the bit. Uh, it was funny to comedy writers of like here's this giant Eastern European guy with a mustache screaming at little girls, and it makes them gold uh, medalist. Uh, it, but it's very like Boomer Boris Badenov style humor and uh yes. very dated even 20 years ago yeah uh, not only uh, uh an accessory to horrific sexual abuse but also that he numerous of his students came out later and said like well no it wasn't tough love he just was like one said quote brutal he was brutal and uh it was it also the way he treated the girls made it so they were scared to speak up about their their sexual abuse from the do- team doctor as well it's uh yeah it's not very funny you know what but uh lugash he's all right as a, as a character i like the repetition of i am lugash uh does it work for like se- six more episodes probably not no 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 the the i had a dog it's cat now i, I got a chuckle out of that oh yeah, yeah it's cat now this uh and mcmullen does a really good job with all the gymnastics action in this too way better than she needed to do like absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh he lugash uh tells the girl how best to jump out of a window and then i love that marge's reaction to that is like look there's an opening <laughs> Now, Spider-Man expert Henry Gilbert, does Spider-Man like being screamed at? Hmm, you know, I think Homer's incorrect. Yeah. He's also incorrect about sex workers. I don't think they like being screamed at unless that's what they're being paid to do. In both cases, it's, it's victim the client. Blame, it's the say. client who likes being screamed at, if anything, in some cases, you know. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I would suppose there are sex workers who get hired to be like yelled at, and that's part of the job, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. Doesn't mean they like it. But I definitely don't. Spider-Man likes mocking them back. He doesn't... When Dr. Octopus says, you know, get out of here, you accursed arachnid, <laughs> Spider-Man doesn't like that, but he does like saying back to him, like, uh, shut up, you four, four-eyed, four-armed loser. Right. Thwip. Thwip. We Well, there could be secret kink going on when he's getting a fight. You know, maybe he's fucking loving it. Maybe he's <laughs> he's just totally up for that. That's why, he, that's why he does the whole thing. It's not Uncle Ben. It's that he's got a, he's got a little fetish. He likes getting beat up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and being called a scummy, scummy bug. I mean... <laughs> 
That's why he's got a tuck when he gets in the uniform. Otherwise, it's going to show how excited he is. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going to go there. But I was going to say, yeah, like look real close to the frames in that book and you'll see. <laughs> an important an important skill every Spider-Man artist has to learn is how to draw Spider-Man with his legs splayed at all times while not indicating genitals. In I, I drew Spider-Man as a kid, and uh, it was an interesting thing to do at age 12 and 11, when you're like, huh, I'm, I'm drawing this incredibly ripped guy in all these different, like, insane poses, and I'm I'm having to sort of confront, you know, my, my, my ideas about the human body. But uh, it, can I just also say, it's totally out of nowhere, but I just finally got a PS5 and I played that Spider-Man game. Very solid game. I pretty much like clocked two days to just beat it. It was very fun. Less, less Spider-Man movies, more more Spider-Man games. That's that's my request. No, it's a great game, though. Uh, what, what did you think of Spider-Man being the best friend of the New York Police Department? <laughs> well, I mean, that's I was thinking about that when I was watching it because they, they try to do some stuff in that game where it's like, oh, defense contractors are bad. Like, they that's kind of the assigned liberal villain is like private companies but i think it's unavoidable i mean unless you're batman i guess but like any superhero it's just one of those facts of the genre that i guess if people want this stuff to be progressive a superhero helps out the police that's just unless you're the punisher or whatever and you're just a complete and psycho the vigilante love the punisher now really oh, yeah i know which is also <laughs> funny like n no one can have it really the way they want it you know what i mean and so i was watching and i'm like what what else are they going to do i mean his job <laughs> is to get criminals he should really be putting them into like treatment centers but but instead he's just clobbering their heads. By the way, I love how also he doesn't kill anyone, but like you throw people off of buildings in that game. I don't really understand the logic there, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, if you look really closely where Spider-Man threw somebody, a web, uh, a, yeah, a, a web yeah. patch uh, uh, magically appeared and they did not, they got webbed to the side of the building, which is obviously not life-threatening at all and didn't <laughs> kill them. Yeah, your neck wouldn't snap as soon as you the momentum pulled you back up, uh, which I think happens to one of his girlfriends in the comics, right? Doesn't her That's next one? Yeah, yeah, but all those criminals—they're fine. Anyway, just shouting out that game it was actually quite fun, and I and I enjoyed it. And and then if you unlock some DLC, you find out he does have a kink about being called a scummy bug by his villains, and it's a whole <laughs> campaign. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's why his his top daddy is uh, <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, why is he listening uh, to that guy's show if he doesn't love it? It's you know, turn it off. <laughs> The Simpsons will be right back. Then you'll flip. There's got giant head. For The Simpsons on a special night. And on American Idol, another contestant was eliminated from the competition. Welcome to the break from Inside the Talking Simpsons Bubble. It's Henry Gilbert. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Brandon James from the podcast Blowback. You guys should check that out. It's one of our favorites. Follow him as Deep Beige on Twitter. We're always so excited to have back on Brandon to talk about Simpsons and also the historical political context of the episode, which is fitting for an episode all about college level discussion of cartoons. Thanks so much again, Brandon. And if you enjoy Talking Simpsons, you should know that this podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking simpsons where me and bob do this as our full-time jobs thanks to five dollar and up subscribers there and for that five bucks a month you get a ton of extras including a monthly new episode of talking futurama and talk king of the hill us covering both of those series in depth we're in season four of futurama season three of king of the hill and you get a giant back catalog of over a hundred exclusive miniseries we've covered to this point on patreon every episode of the 
Critic, every episode of Mission Hill, and many of our favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series. Please check it all out for yourself at patreon.com slash talking Simpson. Whether you want something even nicer than a Liberace party at Roddy McDowell's place, you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Subscribers there get all the $5 things you just heard me talk about in our monthly feature film podcast, What a Cartoon Movie, where we go as in-depth into a movie as we do an episode of The Simpsons, often over five hours, sometimes even over six hours. In the case of our longest podcast ever, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, six and a half hours. This month, we'll be covering the 2000 DreamWorks classic, the first Aardman film, Chicken Run. The month before that, we covered Batman, Superman, World's Finest, the first team up of those two characters in the Bruce Tim animated universe. Sign up today. There's over 50 at your fingertips. Us covering things like Akira, a goofy movie, Beavis and Butthead do the universe Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Tokyo Godfathers, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, even junk like Cool World and Shrek. You will hear all of that. Over 50 episodes at your disposal and a new one each month if you go to the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So check it all out for yourself today. But so, yes, Lisa doesn't want to do this. She smacks her head. And this is when we have a dream sequence that feels... I mean, it would fit in, like, season four of Simpsons, but it's hard... It, to me, feels like a Family Guy thing, uh, this bit here. I, I actually like this a lot because it, it's so mean to President Kennedy. Sure, yeah. It feels it feels like 50s Republican mean to, to JFK. It, it, is, it is very Family Guy, just like a famous figure showing up for no reason. And it's also kind of odd whenever you see JFK in The Simpsons because he is just Quimby. And it's like they exist in the same universe in a way that... You you know doesn't totally like one has to go i i don't you know, notice uh well here i'll play the clip see if you can find the little ways that dan castellanetta has to make this not joe quimpy yeah faster lift your knees <laughs> look lisa there's an opening who wants to put on a leotard and get screamed at well hookers and spider-man forget it i'm going home Whoa! Get up, Lisa. President Kennedy. <laughs> That's right, Lisa. Academics are important, but you must also train your body with vigor. That's why I created the President's Council on Physical Fitness. Er, uh, yes. Well, I can't argue with the man who wrote Profiles in Courage. Yes, uh, wrote it. Uh, well, uh, good luck, Lisa. Thanks. I'll see you in heaven. Uh, yes, er, uh, heaven. My little munchkin bumped her pumpkin. Are you okay, Lisa? I'm more than okay. Huh. Ich bin ein Gymnast. Oh, she must have dreamt about Hitler again. <laughs> I, I notice, like, it's 5% different than Quimby. And I, I, I got a cheap laugh out of Lisa. Lisa is a that cheap laugh, but I, I got, I mean, it, it got me rather. 
Um, that's the funny. that was the big difference. I was like, okay, how would Joe Quimby say this line? And he would say Lisa. He wouldn't say Lisa. That I feel like is the big one. Yeah. We had to listen to a lot of clips in season two with him saying Cuba instead of Cuba. Uh, <laughs> right, just calling right. it, calling it President of the United States, calling it Cuba every every day. He had to talk about it. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of any joke that implies a beloved figure is in hell. Uh, we talked about Family Guy. It's either Family Guy or American Dad. They made a joke about Jim Henson being in hell. I thought was very funny. Oh yes, yeah. Just because it came out of nowhere, Henry. I, I would say that if there's if there's a difference, it's there's less Quimby ah uh, well ah uh, ah uh, uh, like that kind of halting thing, and he I guess they make him say er instead. Mm. So otherwise, he's a little deeper. Voice is a little deeper, and that's about it. It also feels like who other than Harvard nerds remembers the ghostwriting profiles and courage scandal of 1957? Like it's that's a thing I had to Google. I didn't <laughs> know this thing. Uh, but yes, it was Ted. Ted Sorensen was uh, apparently, and he speechwriter got like a JFK got a Pulitzer Prize for it. That oh. uh, yeah, uh, was, and Eisenhower created the President's Council on Physical Fitness. <laughs> so, Believe it or not. You, uh, if you look, uh, if you look, I'm sure you've seen Kennedy's like college app, uh, college essay to get into the colleges he was going to get into no matter what, because his dad was mm. a member of the elite. And it's just, I don't know, it, it's 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 like second grade level essay material. People have made fun of it a lot. So it's possible that, yes, he did not write profiles in courage. You know, this meanness towards JFK is fun to see. Uh, and I like to say that I, I like that they actually say, like, oh, yeah, he's in hell, too. Like, he's not just... <laughs> Uh, he's not just a plagiarist liar but he's also in hell but also that uh but on this commentary they even mention and gene said it many times before after 9-11 they were scared to do any jokes of not scared but they were reticent to do jokes about george w bush because and and gene would say things like well the public opinion on him changes so much that by the time the episode comes out we'll we'll be out of date or whatever and i guess i guess sure and hey if we saw what they did with trump it probably wouldn't have been funny anyway this stuff they would have done it and frankly everyone was doing most people were were doing it you know uh, so it didn't it's not like it would have been terribly fresh anyway. You know, I, I, I it's kind of like lose-lose. And how many times has Lisa dreamed about Hitler? I <laughs> well, I, I guess the joke is that she's saying she's speaking German. And so Homer just concludes that if she's speaking German, she must have been dreaming about Adolf Hitler specifically. But... But he know. says again, which to me, like, this Homer misunderstood mo- that previous yeah. time she dreamed of a German person, he thought it was Hitler? Or did she previously have a Hitler dream? <sighs> and Homer's like, oh, you dream about Hitler? But but he's also happy about it. He's like, oh. The implications <laughs> are dark no matter what. Because if she has had a previous dream and where Hitler was encouraging her, that's dark. <laughs> and, if, and the fact that he's happy about it, whether or not that even happened, is also dark. Yeah, this is, this is a, this is a heady episode <laughs> five minutes in we're, t- we're discussing whether the simpsons family um loves hitler or not that's that's a <laughs> so it's a weird place to be we then head to the crusty burger and i have a little clip here of uh did the simpsons predict adult happy meals there you go a laughing meal for you and a nostalgia meal for me oh boy this takes me back two ration stamps and an artillery shell full of oleo What's your nostalgia prize, Grandpa? Liberace action figure. Party tonight at Roddy McDowell's. Ooh. I got a plastic Crustysaurus. Hmm. A mosquito? How'd that get in there? 
this also is kind of like their Osaka flu joke, which yep. this, I, honestly, if people wanted to COVID conspiracy theory, the Simpsons, they should be pulling this scene. It's not the Osaka virus. And I say this to myself too, in the past, I was like, oh wait, no, that's, this would have been a good scene to show at our live show with Matt Christmas. Everyone forgot about this, including yeah. us. Yeah. That's the but, correct country for one thing. But now we're learning it's a tanuki, not a mosquito that mm, caused COVID. That's what they want you to believe. It <laughs> hates uh, to uh, not believe the lab leak theory, right? No, <laughs> but I. The, it's got a. It's a great visual gag. Is is force your daughter to work day, and uh, I like the crusty uh, propaganda uh, coming out of the speaker. That's a great. It's a great design on a propaganda poster. Yeah, I now as a kid, I knew about ration stamps because of Bugs Bunny. I did not know Olio was what people called margarine back in the day. Uh, and then the third joke definitely feels like a joke written by a guy who's in the writer's room at this point, right? <laughs> yes, Dana Gould, because he would eventually live in Roddy McDowell's old house. Yeah. <laughs> so so when he's saying party tonight at Roddy McDowell's they're saying Dana Gould's home is what they're saying this feels like Dana Gould wrote the entire scene because at this point in time he is on the verge of adopting uh children from China too mm, yeah interesting I you're right I, I didn't yeah. know that at all the only D Dana Gould trivia I know is that he was Gex the gecko uh, I didn't realize oh, yeah. that he, he so he adopted kids from China. They did a whole episode about it later in the series when Selma adopts a, a daughter from China. Yeah, it's a uh, huh. yeah. He, he has uh, two children. He adopted uh, him and his wife at the time adopted from China. He uh, he had a funny story when we interviewed him uh, live at SF Sketchfest where he mentions to his daughter with the episodes replaying on or no, it's a new episode of Simpsons and the character that is literally the name of his first daughter they adopted is on screen. Is it Lou? I think yeah yeah and he's he's pointing he, this is a story he told he's pointing at her and saying like hey look you're on TV like you're on the Simpsons she's like yeah yeah whatever dad and he's like no that's that's you remember and she's like yeah I don't care I want to watch Bob's Burgers this, this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right this all this China stuff it feels like Dana Gould has only one episode writing credit this season it's on the last episode but this scene in particular feels very Dana Gould rewritten as and I mean also it makes me think he had the idea for the boy in the plastic bubble thing too because he's a very 70s man uh he's he's very into this the kitsch of the 70s i mean he has a kickstarter where he basically does uh space ghost but as dr zayas he loves mm. this shit mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at one of the Sketchfest shows where he debuted that costume uh, as as a performed piece. Uh, and yes, uh, obviously, if you didn't know, Roddy McDowell, he died in 1998. So now they are safe from libel of um, talking about how he was very gay, but not out at the time. He was in Laser Blast. Mm -hmm. ah, what a he was episode. in uh, Shockma. The um, you know if you know that one the the killer baboon movie no oh it's a, it's a good one you should check that one out it's really actually don't check out the trailer to Shakma don't watch the actual film it is one of the funniest trailers you'll see uh, but Roddy McDowell is in the film is you know just professor British guy in it <laughs> when he died David Warner was uh, rubbing his hands together like all right all the roles are mine now fuck yeah uh, now I, and now he's gone but also McDowell he was the Mad Hatter on uh, Batman the animated right. series right yeah which uh, but this scene with the mosquito coming from china biting somebody i mean this this is why people are instantly ready to believe conspiracy theories like the lab leak theory that that they're like oh well we've always thought this was going to happen 
some some evil thing from yellow China, a red China, is going to destroy us all. I don't know. Lab leak. There's uh, convincing evidence. Henry. Okay, that's a true one. Sure, probably. Uh, but I true. mean, it's nothing determined for sure. But mm. now, now I, I don't know. Uh, honestly, uh, I won't care unless someone pays me a, a handsome settlement. <laughs> well, that's for how you end up caring. Is you, yes. you need to have a paycheck on the mail one way or the other. Yeah, but and, and but based on on the you know the economic agreement that we made them sign in the 1980s to make sure that we could get cheap goods now we're mad that they did it (laughs) (laughs) and that there's there's mosquitoes in our toys or whatever yeah this whole yeah this whole scene is about how it's like well you do you want cheap stuff or not like we we make fun of these china's forced labor wet shops but like what would the u.s economy be if we couldn't buy all of these things on amazon that are called the the craziest names in the world to get the first entry on the page i i I wouldn't have been able to get a ps5 only a couple months ago you know (laughs) bart is asked to be taken to the hospital he's not feeling well uh this is the most he feels any uh symptoms of the panda virus like it i don't really see the problems with the panda virus here they say it's highly contagious but it's like but what would it do you just gotta keep the episode moving just gotta keep it going (laughs) he's sick we got it And you know what? Abe should have died from it because he was very exposed to Bart for hours. Yeah, we Uh, learned that the hard way a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I like Abe's response. So finally, we're going to do something I wanted to do. That's fun. So then we see Lisa's performance. She's really good. She is really good as a gymnast. As we find out, it's because her head is like beach ball made of bone and gives her perfect balance amazing animation of her flying through the air and landing back around on her feet but this is not a like a secret talent episode at all which it seems like that's the direction it's heading in it's also kind of weird because isn't she there because she was terrible at gymnastics five minutes before and that's why Mm -hmm. she's she's a natural then it's kind of weird that she would flunk that's when you usually discover that they're naturally good and they didn't even know it but uh episodes got to keep moving let's just keep it going she needed a man to yell at her to find her power. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is true. No, I mean, it's only, honestly, in Act 3, I am shocked there's a scene where they remember she's good at gymnastics. I know. So I was like, wow, they, they paid it off. That's fun. And of course, they end the scene with, I am Lugash. Uh his trademark catchphrase i've got the t-shirt at home <laughs> and lisa is giving back her snowball too i gotta say if we're saying when jokes are similar it's a le- slightly less funny version of here's your turtle alive and well from uh, also from lisa i agree i agree that was a little they should have been paying attention but this is when lisa makes some new friends though are they just phonies <gasps> you're reading gravity's rainbow rereading sorry what are you guys talking about i was making fractals These girls are brilliant. I finally found kids I can relate to. You guys are so cool. I can't believe I never met you before. Well, I'm Tina, and this is Carrie. Maybe we can hang out together. Oh, I'd love to. You girls were all great. Cat's back for everyone. I had a dog. He's cat now. Need a ride back to campus? Campus? You guys are college students. Yeah, but with our small gymnast bodies, everyone always thinks we're way younger. Aren't you in college? Um, of course. Where do you think I go, baby school? (laughs) (laughs) See you tomorrow, Lisa. We find out what five minus three is. Um, I'm a teacher's aide in a very special class. No, Lisa, we're both in- Go, go, go! Why do people run from me? 
And he pisses himself. This is the first active on-screen urination in a Simpsons? I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. We... I mean, that like Homer goes up to the World Trade Center to pee, but we're not in the room with him. Mm-hmm. And we don't even hear a tinkling sound. It felt... Um... It felt a little wrong. I, I, I saw you, 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 uh, when you guys DM'd me, you said, we, you know, we'll talk about this moment. I, I actually didn't look into it because I've never seen, I've never seen, is this a gif or is this like a well known moment? I've never seen it. So it was a fresh, I had fresh eyes and uh, I, I don't, I laughed, but I also don't know if I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, they're deep into the short bus humor with Ralph now, as mm-hmm. was the style at the time. Yeah. We're yeah. Living in the era of Timmy on South Park. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, this gif is semi-notable in terms of meme potential, and also later in the episode where Ralph blankly stares at Lisa and then rolls down the hill. That's another one I see a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I see. I want a lot. I uh, they they credit the joke to David Merkin. I mean, the bit obviously of him peeing himself like that that's just like pure scatological I do like that he then smiles that he enjoys it. <laughs> that's yeah, what it made goes- me laugh. That that it. it- it, it just brings you back into somewhere a little less sad. Um, it's like, well, Ralph's fine with it. He's okay. He, he peed his pants on purpose to enjoy it. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, God. My my issue, like, I just realized upon this uh, listening to the clip that the female characters are given names, but uh, this is an issue with a lot of uh, Al Jean's stuff at this point. He's a showrunner. The women guests are often not characters at all. They're like plot devices, and these women especially are. And I feel like this had the potential to be a story similar to Summer of Four Foot Two, and that Lisa kind of has a new alter ego that she uses to blend in with cooler kids who she can identify with, but but that is forgotten and these characters are forgotten after the end of this act and then it's about something different in act three and I felt like there could have been a more emotional story but they lose that entirely after the end of this act it's scavenging scavenging from old episodes to put the Frankenstein together you know and and Lisa could actually have like an emotional journey with this and also her friends if her friends were treated as people there'd be an act three where Tina uh and the other one I only wrote down <laughs> Carrie Carrie, Carrie yeah. you, yes Tina and Carrie they try to make up to Lisa like oh hey we're sorry you're still cool I mean that is that is the end of summer four foot two as well so it's not like it would be inventive and maybe it really just was them saying like eh, if act three is emotional but we don't want that like we we want to go where people aren't expecting but yeah it's like uh, it's so sad that like this is about lisa connecting with other people and she should find another connection like one thing this is definitely not about is how lisa is popular or unpopular like her popularity in acts one and two are meaningless like that, that is not anything in this you're just supposed to know at this point from the show being on 20 years or whatever, get getting up to that, that Lisa's brainy. She wants to be around other smart people. No one else is in her zone except for Martin, I guess. But, you know, you know, who cares? Well, and those guys are the ones tearing her down. Too, yes, later. yes. Yes, exactly. She doesn't really connect with these girls outside of this scene. There's no scenes with them. I mean, imagine writing a scene with all women. Yuck. Not in my show. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I I feel like that was the issue. Like, what are these women going to talk to each other about books and math? (laughs) They kind of just like drop Lisa off at school and there's nothing more to be said until they discover her that she's a child later in this act. It does pass the best jail test, though, when she meets them. They're talking about fractals. 
and yeah um, the fractals though i guess talking about that book is talking about a man's book so it's uh, well no well, come on a, it's a book it's no, they're I'm not kidding, talking about I'm a man kidding. yeah this though is it shows that tina is actually a toxic phony because she's clearly pretending to have read gravity's rainbow which is like uh, as we all learn from twitter is uh, it, what only awful people do and, uh, <laughs> I, yes <laughs> no look i i have not read gravity's rainbow i don't but it i only know it i never other than this joke i've rarely ever heard about it ever as as a book to read and then it became a thing on twitter that people talk about of like if somebody lists gravity's rainbow as their favorite book in a twi- dating profile run away like that kind of <laughs> that uh, book changes content. every two or three years the to, to get big online numbers you throw out a book uh, that people need to know is a red flag it's for a while it was infinite jest big a big book written by a man you know it needs to be you know a, a red flag so i guess now it's i didn't know that it's now gravity's rainbow um well i did turn on it a little bit uh i was reminded of like oh yeah that the i do not like the video game the witness or the creator of it jonathan blow uh and he said about the game i want to make games for people who like to read gravity's rainbow hmm. i was like oh that is like the well you're gonna get some you're gonna get some uh of, of the grain of truth in it as well i guess uh <laughs> love love the band hate the fans Kind of Though, uh, you know, Thomas Pinchon, he will appear in season 15 of the show, making one of his very few appearances wow. in the series anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. He's designed with a bag on his head, uh, <laughs> so they did not draw what his face looks like. Uh, they joke that he looks just like Lenny. another compliment this episode i like that the building things uh, in the car that includes college strength tylenol uh instead of child strength i like that it ends with a fourth like it builds it could end with three on the rule of three but they have like no let's have a fourth of yes we're college students (laughs) uh so escalation so then to put us in time we hear all star and tub thumping back to back uh as a college song to hear people playing as they drive around like all-star is a pretty good uh bad song to hear would these college girls be listening to all-star in 2002 it's like a 1998 song right yep Yep. you know what yeah and the girls who care about fractals and gravity's rainbow would not have uh, hey let's not essentialize them (laughs) as non-all-star fans but i i'm certainly in agreement with bob there that that song came out in 98 yeah or like 99 or maybe even earlier and uh i don't know when tub thumping came out but i think it's the writers maybe showing their age a little bit that they thought that was still all the rage i don't know look if you ask me to pick a popular song to put in something that a kid would be listening to at best i would pull out a song from 2013 i think for me it'd be baby shark <laughs> well, as, you guys, as you guys probably know I, I just swear to god i still don't know what that is just talk about my age i still don't know what baby shark is don't know what it is have no clue is it a song i'm yes. gathering yes and you do, don't ever search it out please won't i won't i i guess i'm just realizing though shrek came out in 2001 right and then it begins with all stars so maybe that's maybe it's accurate that he was kind of back in the mix so to speak yeah, unfairly, Shrek borrowed it from a less popular movie, and that was Mystery Men. Because if you yep. if you look, if you dig up the uh, All Star video, uh, this is not an obscure trivia. Everyone knows this, but it's it's a video for Mystery Men. Yep, Dane Cook is in it. Yes, no, yeah. <laughs> They'd only, I believe, as we talked about in our Shrek uh, podcast, five hours of Shrek talk. <laughs> part of the deal to for All Star to be in the movie is that Smash Mouth got to record a new song, or well, a cover to "I'm a Believer" that would be yep. in it, so they could make more money off of it being on the soundtrack right i I recently watched a uh documentary about leonard cohen 
and the Hallelujah being in Shrek was a huge. Um, it basically Hallelujah, which in the film is a cover by John Cale, but on the soundtrack, due to license shenanigans, is by Rufus Wainwright in a very very similar style. Really, what people think of as the popular idea of the song Hallelujah did not exist until that. That was what really threw it into the. Maybe this is not obscure trivia either, but until that moment, it was uh, from a very neglected. Leonard Cohen album that the studio didn't even release. You know, I only knew the song is the Jeff Buckley song, his cover sure. of it. Yeah, the Buckley yeah, song that, was big too. That was the bigger one in my in my youth of the early '90s. Though honestly, I only I didn't hear it on the radio. I heard it in like some uh, PSA that mm. they used. To. <laughs> when I when I saw it in Shrek when I was uh, 18, I thought it was an original song and yep. made me feel sad for Shrek. <laughs> they cut it and they cut out the naughty the naughty parts. They cut out the part about sex and stuff uh, from the Shrek version. Oh, yeah, because no, when and- you're intercutting between a donkey and, and a large ogre you don't necessarily want to hear sexual lyrics i uh no honestly in 2001 when i saw it in the theaters i stupidly thought they're ripping off jeff buckley here can they pay the <laughs> jeff buckley estate to use this song sir please quiet down yeah. my children are here <laughs> anyway sorry i didn't mean to throw us into the shrek zone but uh, i guess all-star maybe would have been you know what these college kids were into at the time sure sure uh well then again in a i just watched spider-man 2002 again recently for another podcast uh and in that one the girls are driving around listening to the strokes and i was like uh, the, the the popular seniors in high school are listening to that and i was like i mean the strokes are definitely brand new in 2002 but would would the cool girls in school be listening to it in their in their uh top-down mini convertible that, that that soundtrack's an interesting one, that Spider-Man 2002 soundtrack. Do you think they'd be listening to Chad Krieger uh, instead? Mm, I think so, more likely. Yeah. Probably, oh, yeah. yeah. You, hey, if you guys want to hear three hours of me <laughs> talking about Spider-Man and its soundtrack, listen to the episode of Soundtracker that just came out. Oh, cool, uh, cool. Yeah, it's a good one. I, that's that's a fun. We've had Eric on uh, on our podcast, too, for mm-hmm. the, uh, the Stand By Me episode. of. Uh, but, uh, okay, so anyway, Lisa is trying to explain to her friends uh, how she isn't a typical college student. Actually, I'm off campus. I um, share a house with a couple of girls, a couple of guys. Guys, huh? Are they cute? We're all Bart's kind of... No. I get knocked down. I get knocked down again. You're never gonna knock me down. Whoa, party house. Hey, where's my keg? Mm, Mom's not gonna like that. Who's mom? Uh, that's what we call the gay guy who lives with us. Hey, you doing anything tomorrow night? Robert Pinsky's reading at Cafe Kafka. <gasps> Robert Pinsky? The former poet laureate? It's gonna be great. The three of us could split a scone. Non-dairy. <laughs> Duh. Duh. I take a whiskey drink. I take a chocolate drink. And when I have to pee, I use the kitchen sink. I sing the song that reminds me I'm a urinating guy. Black, I'll see you black, tomorrow. Black, black, see ya. Black, black, black. You know, Weird Al does make it look easy, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. It's, this is so the season. I've said this is the fist-shaking season, and it is, but this also is the season where, like, three times already this season, Dan has missung a song as Homer. Like, they're, they're really into that this season. You got to come up with new Homer things to do, you know? <laughs> uh, and this uh, Tub Thumbing by Chumbawamba, here's the thing that happens every time where I ha- have to look up a famous person or a band that I haven't looked up up in a while are they hateful now or like are they, are they uh, and uh, what's the especially, verdict especially 
especially when they're british i'm like okay how, should be, are like, they transphobic now like what's the we should have like litmuspedia just you type yeah. in a name it tells you the la- last hateful thing they said publicly <laughs> uh, but from my research and please correct me if i'm wrong on this like chumbawamba still good still and actually they were pretty left wing yeah. at the time yeah. uh they were big they had a great general distaste for new labor and tony blair uh yeah. in in english back then and they have a whole song about how much they hate homophobia called homophobia and uh yeah, <laughs> well in parentheses I, we hate it <laughs> not good yes. uh you know what they still need to apologize for the violence they did to tubs you know <laughs> they thumped him too much yeah, yeah. <laughs> no so yes uh the uh, i can at least say the chumbawamba i don't believe they've performed too much together again but it seemed like as far as like rich bands from england go they've they seem like they're all right but uh good. you know I, I i promise to take this back if i if oh I'm don't, don't worry henry you're fine it's, you do you do research giving information about a person means you do endorse everything they say that's, that's true right. and it's if dangerous. you and if you haven't done uh, four hours of wikipedia detective work you're uh, you're complicit in their crime so <laughs> i love the joke about the gay guy who lives with us like that's, that's funny uh, i mean that shows you how different t- times are changing in simpsons world that they accept the like oh yeah and in a college dorm there's probably one token gay guy. Like it almost feels like a joke about the TV show, the real world of like, well, there's always a gay guy right. in, in the house in real world. And as for this Kafka joke back then, I loved it. Cause I was a dork who loved Franz Kafka. I wasn't reading gravity's rainbow. I was reading from, I was reading the trial. I was reading the collected short stories like, uh, and of well, course, don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't tell anyone that in a year. Cause it, he'll be the one that is a red flag. If you read it. Because we'll have switched oh, to, to a new guy. Damn. This guy loves waking up as a bug. <laughs> uh, that's a Spider-Man but, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I actually, uh, I forgot to bring it in here. I In the bedroom, I was just flipping through. This got me to take off the shelf. I don't save too many books from when I was a teen, but I did save my complete short stories Kafka paperback I've had since then. I was paging through it again. And yeah, I, the metamorphosis is perfection, but actually my favorite is pro- of his short stories is probably The Judgment, uh, which is about a guy being yelled at by his dad until he, he kills himself. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah, I don't know why I like that one so much. <laughs> well, hey, if you don't want to read, check out the Orson Welles version of uh, The Trial. It's really sure. good. Oh, Anthony I, Perkins. Know, I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. Anthony Orson. Perkins is in it. It rules. I it's one of his that. best roles. Um, yeah, and Hegel's Bagels. Just fun, fun little morsel there. I laughed. <laughs> I, I hate I hate to keep like pausing the uh, the episode here, but like these 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 characters are, like are just so frustrating because they're supposed to be young adult leases, but they're also kind of also like flighty girls. And I wish they had figured out like, oh, these are characters. We need to be keep them consistent. But I they they they're just plot devices, and that's it. Like we don't but, really learn anything but, about. But, but them. to be honest, and I I you know. You guys are obviously more steeped in these seasons, but I, I sort of feel as though that's what Lisa herself as a character became, and, and not exclusively Lisa. I'm sure all of them became flanderized, you know, as the seasons went on, because I, I think in the original seasons, Lisa is genuinely sort of subversive in her intellectualism, uh, where she undermines people's easy ideas about what you know, uh, American life is and this and that and societal norms and all that. I think eventually she just becomes a scold. She's just like a, a snobby, brainy scold, which is kind of what she is in this episode where she's just impressed that girls have pretended or actively reading Gravity's Rainbow. And, you know, just like that's what I've seen from clips of Lisa later on is that she's actually a very conforming, brainy person. And that if that's a result of seasons going on and having less and less to do with a 
finely drawn character and more just having to resort to broader stereotypes. So I almost feel as though it's a function of Lisa not really being as interesting or as as finely sketched a character now that her friends are not that either. Yeah, I think you're correct. As time goes on, especially in this era, Lisa is their outlet for South Park style humor where yep. I'm going to play that jingle later in yeah. this episode. <laughs> a lot of left punching. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. It, she, she's a latte sipping, hippie, tree hugger, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Well, a non-dairy scone. <laughs> I know. Well, also, too, you know, if they wrote them with depth, then they couldn't write jokes about how they're vapid college girls, which are horrible things to be. Right. So they, right. They, they have to get that in there, too. They don't have a valley girl. They don't have a They don't have a vocal fry, I guess. You know, they, they didn't check every box, but I, I think true. I agree with you on the general uh, portrayal of, of college kids here. And whiskey and chocolate chocolate together that homer's doing is pretty that's uh, that sounds tasty to me it's a good it pairing <laughs> it is tasty. uh and of course nobody knows who the poet laureates are like they never i when i looked at a list of them I'm like i never heard any like ada limon is the current one uh and I'm, I'm sure she is a great writer but yes you don't people don't know who these people most people don't know who these people are I didn't realize Pinsky was in the episode uh, going into it. So for a second, I was like, oh, you know, I think in the earlier seasons, they wouldn't have said, oh, you mean the Poet Laureate? But then I realized they kind of have to say it because he's the guest and you need to prepare people to know that whoever they're about to hear is a guest voice is important. It's actually a big deal and not just a name they made up. Mm-hmm. Or right. It's right. not Hank right. Azaria playing somebody. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Bart uh, is learning about his, uh, I, I think Homer's wiling out here because Marge is at the hospital with Bart. So that's, that's why uh, she- Oh, right. He's home alone. Him. I do like the line of like, I knew there was something wrong when you didn't want ice cream. I do want ice cream. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, Bart has the panda virus. Uh, and I do like this bit about being upset how much somebody keeps saying normal and it's really uh, putting uh, putting you off. It can't be mange. I just had him dipped. Your son is exhibiting classic symptoms of panda virus. Here, take a look. <gasps> I knew it was serious when he said he didn't want ice cream. I did want ice cream. Well, your father ate it all. Now, don't worry. These pills will take care of everything. But for a week, Bart will be highly infectious to others. <laughs> Contagious? Outrageous. <laughs> I got me some teachers to lick. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But don't worry. While you're infectious, you will lead a normal life full of normal social interaction. I don't like how many times you said normal. You'll be living in this bubble. It's clear plastic, so the world can see how normal you are. <laughs> the world can see how normal you are. That's great. I, also, I should say in the Bubble Boy film, they came up with a clever twist to make it have not a tragic ending. Uh, in, the, in the Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal one? Yes, yeah, okay. that one. No, and so he in, doesn't suffer from autoimmune disorders in the Jake Gyllenhaal one, or he does? All right, hey, skip ahead if you don't want the film spoiled for <laughs> oh, you, fuck. but... Uh, he it's on Criterion now I hear he just like in the movie he falls in love with the girl next just like in the Travolta movie he falls in love with the girl next door he goes to her wedding to try to prevent it from happening but she thinks she can never marry him because he's going to die anyway he says well if I'm going to die I want to kiss you first he tears his way out of the bubble and kisses her and then nothing happens to him he's like wait what's wrong and his mother reveals his who has been highly overprotective of him the entire movie that at age four, he did develop an immune system, but she was wanting to protect him and lied to him this entire time that he didn't have one. Is that woman arrested at the end of the movie for child abuse? <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal forgives her immediately. Oh, great. Uh, and then she also ends up 
Danny Trejo is in the movie playing a biker, and he keeps saying that he had. Uh, Wait, I, I can't get over this. Danny Trejo. <laughs> Danny Trejo is in the movie. He's, playing a biker. He's playing a yes, yeah. It's unpredictable, but he in the whole movie he's saying that he got heartbroken by a woman that left him, and it is revealed that Jake Gyllenhaal's mom is that mm-hmm. woman. So she and her husband go on the road with that guy and i it seems like they're a thruple at the end so uh, <sighs> the mother does not go to jail instead she lets loose and, and becomes a biker babe so yeah it's, well uh, that that all tracks that scans yes. for a early exactly. 2000s um wannabe adam sandler yuck him up mm. no it's uh jake Gyllenhaal. he has man has he won an oscar yet i forget is he i, I, know I, I don't know i like him a lot actually uh, mm. weirdly i haven't seen bubble boy but um i think he's quite good um i like him in lots of stuff he's good no. though now it's weird he okay this is another man, we're <laughs> i'm sentence, sorry this is gonna be an eight hour long episode there's a weird thing he's in this uh he's in the roadhouse remake they're making right now yeah. and for some uh related to that i believe his character is supposed to be a former ufc champion so at the most recent ufc show he comes out in character for the start of a fight and it's just like here's jake gyllenhaal ready to fight in the ufc just so they could film it for the movie and it's really oh they that's the actual filming they they use the actual tournament or whatever yeah at at this one ufc that just happened in between fights jake gyllenhaal does a full entrance like he's going to be in a fight so they can film it for the roadhouse movie to to that's weird i wonder if their budget isn't up to snuff because why would you why would you have to do that why wouldn't you just use movie magic and money to make a fake well uh, well, uh, you know then you can't use the ufc branding in your movie so oh you're right it was probably a dirty deal that's that's missing the point of roadhouse it's about a guy who's so strong he doesn't want to fight (laughs) i'm not even gonna think about the roadhouse remake aspect of of any of that but yeah that that, that's weird uh it's known as shooting the rodeo if there's a rodeo in town you uh you use it to up your production value and you don't have to make it yourself oh yeah riff tracks pals talk about that all the time with like carnivals like 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 roller gator the classic Mm -hmm. carnival film well that's just all stolen shots yes no one knew they were filming roller gator (laughs) it's a hair away from from stock footage you know it's technically a crime you're watching right now (laughs) yeah uh, uh but yeah so Bart learns he's normal, and then it's a, a good cutaway gag to Bart just screaming, and he's rolling away just because there was a strong breeze, which <laughs> was a good joke, too. Fun. And there's a great joke that in the background, Nelson haw-haws him, then has to like run around the block yeah. to, to do it a second time. I thought that it's was fun. I, I, I think that's that's a genuinely new use of, of Nelson which is good so then we cut to lisa arriving at uh the college which mcmullen and her team definitely designed to look like the harvard quad uh in the in the entrance to harvard yeah they they also joke that lisa names two things that she's interested in and they go like hey there should be a third thing i think it's selman who goes like hey isn't there a third thing she should say and then gene says there was it wasn't funny <laughs> so we <laughs> and uh, that, that, the, the well, they, it evened out because they had four the rule of four earlier and oh, now they only know, did two. Make, you're right. They're making up the remainder. Yep. There. Right, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Lisa says she's in heaven, and then uh, Tina and Carrie get another line about saying, "Like, well, I live in a place without a DSL line," which uh, you know, it's early, early internet days there. What a girl say in 2002? Freaky. Freaky. <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> though the mouth movements are off, I fear there's a darker joke unsaid there about something that a bad thing that happens to girls in college. I, they then have Bar 
start okay can you keep opening up this bubble and put soup in there and close it again like it's got this weird door that somehow materializes <laughs> in it i don't know how this bubble uh the physics of the bubble i don't know how it it's works. a magical very tough bubble yes yeah and this is uh when homer also gives bart a bath which is funny he just pours water in there shakes it up and rolls him down the hallway as bart is partially drowning also there's probably some soup in there as well i thought that was you know unfortunate for him <laughs> yeah didn't empty it out that'll help exfoliate i think yeah so this is where the only deleted scene that's on the dvd is and i kind of wish they kept it just because it would help me in my one of my season theories homer gets mad at bart for slurping soup and instead he says don't make me put bees in your ball and then homer said then bart says to him like everything you do is an idle threat and homer goes i'll idle threat you and shakes his fist again and then uh and then maggie <laughs> makes a noise he's like oh you want some of this uh-huh. but then he goes i'll play peekaboo with you right now and then he starts playing peekaboo and is enjoying it but they actually go to the point of homer even shakes his fist at maggie <laughs> this yeah, it really is the, sh- the fist shaking era i'm surprised they cut that <laughs> because if he didn't yeah <laughs> but unfortunately by cutting it, it it takes away a little more from my fist shaking season uh, uh content so okay let's talk about him robert pinsky okay yeah. let's start with the 9-11 story yes yeah. because i'm so we always like again it's on the bingo card for all the podcasts we do because everything we're doing is around the time of 9-11 at this point in our history uh robert pinsky uh is going to record for the simpsons uh he flies out on a little day known as september 10th 2001 but it is american airlines flight 11 that is the same flight hijacked the next morning boston to los angeles so if they told robert oh you know monday's not good coming on tuesday he'd be dead he would be like 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 we had to in recording this episode of this podcast yes we might have saved your life actually (laughs) or or Uh, i could be dead in later this 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 day this afternoon it's gonna make posting this uh, tough a plane is heading for both of our locations (laughs) (laughs) uh Uh, but yes and this story has been told a lot but the next day 9-11 seth mcfarlane was supposed to be on that flight he was in boston wanted to go to la he missed it uh and pounding on the yeah. door to get in like come on let me in yeah it's wow. it's not we would what what we would have lost if seth mcfarlane what we'd have no american dad cleveland show no uh, um no, no ted west, no ted oh no ted yeah. a million ways to die in the west not, not mm-hmm. that would be gone in all of his all of his many cds of him singing uh jazz standards <laughs> all, all seven of them <laughs> yeah uh and then because of this robert pinsky was kind of adopted by the writers for a few days because he couldn't go anywhere wow that's I mean that yeah like nobody could fly anywhere for days in case you don't remember after 9-11 guys I had totally forgot that it was this whole story and I mean it is as Tina would say freaky but not just that it was the day before but it was the flight like it was the, the flight that hit the North Tower like that's and, that's insane yeah i mean obviously post-production had caught up with 9-11 at this point but now we're at the point where production has so we've, yeah. we've crossed the rubicon people <laughs> it's finally we're in 9-11 uh, town one of the fraser um we don't have to go through every single showbiz relation but i think one of the fraser producers or executive producers died in 9-11 but yeah definitely there was a a, a fraser producer who died on 9-11 mm-hmm. and then and then mcfarland didn't and then i guess pinsky uh as a simpsons guest almost did as well and as we all know if only mark Wahlberg was on all those flights it would have gone down much better. very differently 
Yes. If Clinton found out that Pinsky was on the plane that was hijacked, he would have used all of his powers to just uh, take that plane back. He would have made a secret call back to uh, Bin Laden and say, like, turn it around. Turn it around, guys, from the plane we all made together. Uh, (laughs) It's also funny on the commentary because they throw at Pinsky impeachment jokes. They're like, did did, uh, Clinton ever ask you to write a poem for an intern? Uh, But also because they recorded the commentary in 2009, they also say, like, were you involved in Clinton? loosening bank regulation <laughs> uh, wait wait really do they yeah they actually yeah. Do oh, that joke, oh, that, yeah. that's cute that's, that's a good question this all stems from a september 20th 1998 blurb in the new york times that pinsky wrote where uh new york times asked a bunch of you know famous guys like him literati Liter- the literati if yeah. you will <laughs> that's uh, that's too smart Bob. you're one of them <laughs> no uh that and so in the blurb, it's like, what's your favorite TV show? And he says, it's The Simpsons. And it's kind of written, and this is 1998, it's kind of written with the thing of like, I know, crazy to think, right? A cartoon show. But it's actually quite, like, you know, it's 1998, I get it. Like, that would, uh, nobody would give a shit if you wrote that now uh, in it. If the Poet Laureate who did it now, who's basically our age, or you know, like I believe in her 40s, no one would care. They wouldn't be like, wow, the Poet Laureate likes The Simpsons. But though, I must again take issue with it because i read it it's a it's a fine little bit of writing who cares but it's the same thing that happened in that new yorker piece i read Mm. where it is framed as and here's the quote from his thing brilliantly written for masterful voice actors he never talks about an artist at all in it and it is it was very much the uh liberal uh, writer elite thing and to say like you know obviously it's a dumb cartoon but the writing oh the writing right right like yeah not surprised i know writers like the writers like yeah (laughs) it makes it makes sense i think uh the earlier version of that was vonnegut said he would rather have written cheers than anything he's written in his life so oh i never heard that you know i mean on the one hand i agree it's it 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 is a bit exclusive but he is a writer i guess that's Mm. what would attract him to it so also in addition to his poetry he's apparently known for his localization skills that he uh, has a famous uh, translation of Dante's Inferno, among among other hmm. classics, hmm. and uh, and what I, I guess he was a teacher of a friend of yours too. Yeah, uh, and I I didn't know this is my friend's brother, uh, so I I didn't really get to ask him too much about Pinsky, but I thought, oh, that's a that's a neat guy to have as a, as a mentor. Probably probably be able to write words much better after you study with them and believe it or not for my research i read all 54 stanzas of this uh of this poem impossible to tell <laughs> this is a very truncated version of it in the episode but uh but here uh here's robert pinsky's poem now open your minds for the cold train to the quatrain the tony danza of the ab stanza i give you the former poet laureate of the united states mr robert pinsky Tonight, I'll be reading from a copy of my book I just checked out at Atherton Library. I study there! Say another building! That's it, Pinsky. You've got them right where you want them. Slow dulcimer, gavotant bow in autumn. He's reading impossible to tell. Basho and his friends go out to view the moon. In summer, gasoline rainbow in the gutter, the secret courtesy that courses like Icor through the old form of the rude, full-scale joke. I'm in a coffee house listening to poetry. There's a cat on a table and no one seems to care. This is the single greatest day of my life. Impossible to tell in writing. Basho, he named himself. Banana tree. Basho! Banana tree! 
Uh, so yes, impossible to tell is it is a good pick for a poem because it is a poem about telling jokes. Hmm. Uh, it's it's about two. It's about old friends kind of reconnecting. Like uh, Basho and Banana Tree is like it's kind of about in jokes. Like that's an in joke in a group, and it's about how like you know if you read a, it, telling a joke is complicated and what it can mean. Like so, uh, and it uh, there it's, uh, two jokes are told within the the poem. So yeah, but they're real knee slappers. <laughs> yeah, you know I think they ca- for as much as we're criticizing this episode. But I think they are capturing with Lisa your first thoughts upon being in that adult world. Like I had the same thought when I first attended college, even though it was a, a commuter college 10 miles from my house, I was walking around saying, well, here I am. And yeah. just, oh, I can, I, I have such freedom. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a coffee shop. This is amazing. Like these are all new experiences to me. And then I had like nine more years of college and <laughs> it got pretty old. It, it would have been nice if, this was the beginning of the episode more and and the episode is about her really inhabiting college and then it gets taken away at the end but she can look forward to it in the future or something but you are more like on a journey with Lisa feeling intellectually fulfilled and 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 even though she can't quite go there yet you know that's a classic little like tv cutesy um experience for her to have instead it's like wedged in the middle of you know all these different uh, you know kind of through lines and i agree this this scene is kind of nice just on a character level if if i could pitch a cynical third act twist they could do instead like lisa could go through the thing like all college students go through of when you get there you're you're like wow how novel this is all these amazing things and then over time you go like eh, the oh college is so predictable or like oh the new freshmen are in they suck or whatever uh, they could they could deal with some of the angst of it too, and and then she realized like you know what I'd rather still be a kid. Yeah, the problem is this that essentially I guess it would be Lisa goes to college instead of Homer mm. goes to college, and well, they've done yeah. that. You know, <laughs> you know the one the 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 specific line that got me that reminded me of like one of my first when I first moved here to a college town of Berkeley, California. The realization of like oh my god I'm not I'm not in my hometown my closed minded hometown anymore. It was when I went to a nearby used bookstore and there was just like the store cat walking around. Like no place had a store cat and just saying like, mm-hmm. you know, does nobody else notice this cat here? Is it, they're not asking what's the deal with this cat? Oh my God. It's like the bookstore went crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, they, uh, I also do like the framing of the poet laureate as like he is, you know, Ozzy Osbourne or something. He's he, killing he, He's got a captive audience. Yeah. And yeah. then he's like Atherton Library for the re- the local reference that uh, you got to get in there, and also McMullen and her artists they were tasked with like making it make a guy reading a poem interesting on screen, and they did it. Yeah, like, yeah. I think they did a great job. Yeah. We then see a, a fun little gag of Homer ignoring all of his children, <laughs> including you can see why in a couple episodes Maggie keeps a gun in her bed <laughs> because these raccoons are attacking her. Uh, this this uh, actually Mc- felt like a classic Simpsons joke, honestly. This this little stretch here, I thought that was just a very nice build. There's there's uh, the unexpected line at the end, you know, and and obviously like it's plugging into the plot a little bit because Lisa's not even there. It was good. It was very old school Simpsons. Yeah, and McMullen, uh, she does she really does a lot with uh, silhouettes and shadows, letting things play out like that in a very expressive way. And I love how the the shadow of Maggie fighting the raccoon cast on the wall is just very effective. You don't need to actually see the battle happen. Yeah, her use of silhouettes in this one, like every time you get inside Lisa's head and she's having her internal monologue, they had a extra shadowy thing around her. Yep. Like and and it's not 
that is a budget thing if you ask for that it costs more to animate than if you don't have it and it's more complicated there's room for mistakes like it's it's a risky thing to do it's why especially by season 13 fewer are doing it but that it again feels like one of those times where mcmullen just goes like well maybe that is the rule but i would like something i'd like to go a little farther artistically than we normally do there's even some great reaction shots of and squashing and stretching that really that happens here that looks great and uh, that's that's her taking taking chances others would not we see afterwards everybody's hanging out with him eating pizza or just the the, the close-knit kids and i love him telling this like his insider story <laughs> he's about writing a poem i i do think bill clinton couldn't tell if a poem was good or bad if it was handed <laughs> to him by the poet laureate he'd be like you done it again <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of uh being in grad school and it did seem amazing at first like the professors would invite the class over for like dinners but also so I was thinking they're probably trying to sleep with at least one person here. This is just the cover. <laughs> yeah. You had to be like, yeah, you think like, well, oh, I had to be invited because if he just invited like this one man or woman, then then it would be suspicious. But if it's like six kids there and, and hey, if you get a free meal out of it, it but, was free. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I also do love that when Lisa runs off gasping, uh, he goes like, did she put in for the pizza? Like, that's a great, he's kind of cheap. He's mad that Lisa didn't kick in like five bucks for the pizza. It's a good, it's a good vocal performance from, from Pinsky. He's a good actor. He actually is pretty good, this Pinsky. Like, again, I didn't know he was going to be the guest. So when he gets up there and he has that line of, you've got him now, Pinsky, like, I, I thought this could be one of the main cast. It's, it's got enough, like, because... The problem with sometimes a guest voice is even if they sound distinctive, their delivery is kind of flat and they're not an actor and they're not really throwing themselves into the lines. But he, he's he's good. Cut to Lisa making a matchstick uh, White House, uh, which that was a joke on Joel's last episode of Mystery Science Theater on Mitchell of uh, yeah. building, building things out of matchstick. Was that I think just it was a like two, a- two toothpicks, but yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Was that like a, a boomer uh, craft project? Just like build things out of flammable objects. Must be. Must have been. Like they all had to do it in school. We, I, I, I recall making things with popsicle sticks or tongue depressors, but not uh, not matches or toothpicks. Uh, oh, and definitely with pipe cleaners. They had a lot, a lot of pipe cleaner stuff. I never cleaned a pipe with one of those. I only just made projects. I should give it a shot someday. I've never done it either. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they clean they, they clean pipes real good. And, uh, this is when Lisa has a glue hallucination where the glue sell, says uh, the Elmer's glue mascot says you won't eat our meat, but you glue with our feet, <laughs> uh, which is a good time to play the jingle. Take that, Lisa's beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. This is classic. Uh, take that, vegetarians. Uh, and I've had I've had these comments uh because i i don't eat meat and then if that comes out and someone is upset by that they'll say well, what's your belt made out of what are your shoes made out of etc mm-hmm. etc et it's very very boring but this is just par for the course really and also most glues but especially elmer's they have not used animal products in their glue in a very long time like there's not uh this is i googled this and there were multiple articles like no they don't send old horses to the glue factory anymore guys that's not what they do but that cow was still on the uh the uh the, the label yeah the they, woke, they're really the they're really sabotaging they're sabotaging themselves by having it be a cow you know, because it's just going to remind people of the glue factory idea. 
you know someday the woke mind virus will take away the elmer's glue cow but yeah. I, I think they should uh become woke and have the elmer's glue cow get together with elsie the cow from mm, borden i like that yeah <laughs> oh uh, maybe it could be in a thruple with the uh the the, <laughs> the little wax cheese cow the, the red oh wax yeah cheese. the laughing cow yeah the laughing cow she'll yeah. enjoy that <laughs> uh so good natured uh but yes yeah, so lisa lisa freaks out we cut to her snoring again this is one of those little like animation things i love her uh, mcmullen does on her episodes like lisa has such a funny mouth when she's snoring like it's not this is not the typical snoring mouth movements from the uh official character charts for the characters like it's it's a brand new drawing of it i really i really like it uh, we get the return of Marsha Mitzman because I think they realize like, oh crap, we wrote a scene that ends with Mrs. Hoover, but we fired the we fired the voice actress for Mrs. Hoover. All right, well, they they normally they haven't had Miss Hoover back in a speaking role in a long time, uh, and uh, uh, next year they'll they'll get back Hoover's voice actress, but. Uh, or no, it's a start. At, no, actually, sorry, it's over a year from now. So right, because with that, the she was was she Mrs. Van Houten as well? Was she? She was Luanne Van Houten. She was she was of course uh, Maud Flanders. Maud Flanders. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then she was gone Maude. for a bit, but then she came back. I, I don't mm-hmm. know all the lore, but uh, I mean, the short version is that she wanted uh as the main cast was getting major ages she said she only wanted an increase to cover the fees for her to fly from her home in denver to right to record it right and they would not do that and right. they didn't have uh long distance recording tech i guess is good back then i don't know it honestly felt like for some reason they did not want to agree to easy demands mm-hmm. uh and but fortunately, mm-hmm. hey, everybody made up. Uh, I think it was okay. one of those Al Jean things that he wanted. Like, we made a mistake. Let's let's mm-hmm. get her back as a voice actor. So it's not her in this episode. No, no, it's uh, the Mar- Marsha Mitzman. Who, okay, she voiced Maude a couple times uh, before they murdered Maude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we we do hear about uh, not fully explored after this, but Sarah Wiggum's tragic alcoholism. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so to, uh, also a good a good drawing. It goes by so fast. I think it's Janie who has, or it's the white-haired girl in class, who has a drawing of a pyramid with a few matchsticks taped to it, which mm-hmm. seems, she's like, there, I made it out of matchsticks. Like, that's that's a good, bad uh, one, too. But Why do all these kids suck at, at, at <laughs> matchstick stuff? Like, the, it, I, I get that Ralph's is not good, but I guess to highlight that Lisa can get by is, I don't remember every student in the school being this um, inept, but I guess... That's what you need for the scene to work. Also, in the last couple of years, they've done a real reboot on Sarah Wiggum's character. She oh, yeah? is not voiced how she used to be. She's voiced by some fa- uh, a moderately famous improv actress. I forget the name, but they just look up recent Sarah Wiggum episodes. She's made to be like a fun gal pal of Marge who has an interior hmm. life. She's yeah. not just a, a clone of wiggum himself Clancy. yeah yes, that's interesting he's not that <laughs> meanwhile we cut to uh oh and then also lisa passes out just to get another time and so we cut to another talk about rarely appearing characters here it's because it has to be because millhouse has to appear later in this scene that the third bullied kid can't be millhouse so they're like what about wendell <laughs> So yes, the, the the queasy kid Wendell actually gets a spoken line uh-huh. in the show. Very Wait, rare. Is he the is he data? Is he the kid with the glasses who goes, Oh look, a clue. 
Is that is that who oh, we're no, talking da- about? Database is no. Database. Wendell is the kid with the curly hair. He's the one who says, "But it's after lunch," and he's oh, asking for lunch money. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a it's just an expression. Uh, I do I do like that of like kicking butt might not involve any kicking at all. Yep. Uh, but yes, Wendell. Uh, they're all about to be beat up, but then Bart makes a quick appearance here. <laughs> Whoa! When nerds are in trouble, I am not slow. It's spin, 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 and away I go. Yay! Now, once he's gone, they'll kill us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Database so much. He's great. Hates his voice, and I think they're using him more because Macarena is busy watching Fox Mother Futurama in the crib right mm. now. So, <laughs> boy, I, I, it's just such a, a great voice. It sounds a little bit like Dexter from Dexter's Lab, a tiny bit, but yep. uh, man, it's great. Now he he has to looks start like every line. <laughs> yes, and he has to start every line with. <laughs> Let's go spy on her. <laughs> every cadence is different than you would yep. expect. Like every word is is in a different place. I yep. feel just like Harriet the Spy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, they, they might over egg the pudding in this one. There's a lo- there's a little bit more database than I even expected, but it is uh it it is a fun character, and you know if you need a nerd in addition They're to making it for lost time with database, yeah, That's, yeah. <laughs> and he's a distinct nerd from Millhouse and Martin. Like I I like that they uh, they if they need a third nerd, he's always there for it. And uh all and the, speaking of good animation, the ball bouncing around animation is very well done. The, except for a very obvious digital layer effect of Bart bouncing into frame like that. That one looks weird in HD, mm. I got to say. What's this mini handball court they have on their playground? <laughs> I have no idea what this is. It's just, it's just a, a a brick wall that's about like four feet wide and maybe six feet tall. Seems dangerous to have in the playground, really. Yeah, I don't know what game they're playing here. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Bart gets them. and And then, of course, he references the underdog saying which is when polly's in trouble i am not slow it's hip 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 and away i go uh which obviously we only knew as underdog references because it we were the last generation that that got replayed for as uh on television like we uh, now no kid knows who underdog is like even they're, they're not watching that jason lee movie <laughs> god with the real dogs yeah uh, with mouths put on it god terrible <laughs> i do like how database correctly says like once he's gone they're gonna they're just gonna get up and get back to beating us up which is what happens they get they get mega wedgies off screen Th- this next this next bit here uh, it feels a bit like conservatives complaining about college it's like this is what they do at college your women's studies degree will get you far mm-hmm. and um i had the same experience as lisa where uh, i had an intro to film class and yes they did show us birth of a nation which i thought was uh, absolutely necessary they couldn't have just had clips or told us why it was important. We had to watch the whole thing. But in my intro to film class, we did watch a Duck Dodgers cartoon. And I was like, I'm in college and I'm watching cartoons. Hot diggity. I could have done with more even laughing at, at that as like the, you know, maybe the self-importance of because like when the kids come in, I thought there was going to be a gag about like, you know, kids, you know, this is college. We're watching cartoons, you know, like it's funny juxtaposition. And also, I just want to say, I thought I I did get a laugh out of Lisa taking off her I'm in fourth grade sticker and replacing it with US out of everywhere, Um, (laughs) which is another, it's another uh, kind of pre 9-11-y kind of kind of thing that's yeah you know honestly that should be the subtitle for your series I think. it was originally yeah. the title and it was just too long uh so it went with something snappy uh, but yeah uh th- there's some that's the second bumper sticker gag in the, in the yeah. episode right 
that I guess that shows how uh, how much he's transformed. No, I I feel like it almost could be used as a conservative Facebook meme of like this is what college does to your children and the yeah. way Lisa transforms into but this. I will tell you, in my college education, I probably wrote at least eight papers, even in grad school, about The Simpsons, uh, which is why my degrees are useless. <laughs> That's why I'm doing this. Maybe it was uh, ahead of its time in, in a way, because of course it was true that you know there was this element of studying entertainment or or, or art or you know like American filmmaking and media you would watch cartoons sometimes but now i think there's even more there's so much more in college probably where you you sit down and you watch like literal children's entertainment with the idea that you're you're i don't know you probably are learning but you know what i mean it's it's a little counterintuitive well because more millennial uh teachers are now be showing things in class like that yes. and there's more of it there just is more you know not to go on about the marvel verse again but it's just like <laughs> that's what's out there you know the biggest stuff is kind of for kids so i guess you're i mean studying i mean it. like i i did enjoy these classes these frivolous classes but i'm sure like now there is a uh a eight thousand dollar course it's like the psychology of blues clues yeah and you have to write a 30 page paper at the end of the term it is a solid itchy and scratchy ep i thought <laughs> I, I i didn't know how uh itchy and scratchy went into the the kind of later seasons if if they even still did them or if they're if they're good i thought I thought it felt felt pretty classic, you know, watching his body disintegrate in four different stomachs. I, I also, when Lisa drives away, I like how Milhouse says, that young adult looks like Lisa. That young adult <laughs> is Lisa. Like, that's a funny... <laughs> and also good animation on him unhooking them from the... Well, actually, rip it, going the hard way of taking them out of there. Making them position. bite down on a stick yeah. or pencils or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, pencils, yeah. Yeah. Now, now uh, my another like I'm I'm always rewriting this episode in my head. Uh, and another twist I think it could have taken is that the nerds think it's cool that Lisa's in college. They are they're jealous. They're not angry that she sold out her second grade uh, status. They, they want to join her, and maybe yeah. that's what uh, you know the third act could be. Like Lisa yeah. is trying to say, I don't know, they're little people or something. I don't know, some something like to get these other characters onto campus because they want to be part of this too. I, you know, also the guys that they pass by, the college guys who tell them where to, to tell Lisa uh, which class to go to, they feel like they're a remix of me and yours body types together. Like right. the, the bigger, the 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 heavier gentleman kind of has more like your hair, and the, the thinner guy has the glasses. But I feel like if you just, uh, you know, remix how they look, it's it's me and you together. There. <laughs> also, the line of I feel like just like Harry at this. I never read those books as a kid, but I did see the movie when I was 14 because it had a Hey Arnold short before it. Mm. And I always thought, I thought that Harriet the Spy was like a, you know, just one of those like kid detective book series, but it's actually about a girl who has like emotional problems that she needs to deal with. Mm. And she, the, she thinks she's like a spy who's going to solve a mystery, but actually the mystery is uh, within herself and, <laughs> uh, and not, and she's a spy in that she uh, is, keep secrets on people too much and tries to use them against them in, in revenge it's, well uh, we'll get the uh, proper gritty reboot in probably about a year where you can't I wonder if there's been more than one harriet the spy I, but but obviously harriet the spy is a girl's book which thus makes it funny that uh, database would reference that of all things and True. there is a reboot coming by the way for oh, apple tv no oh, you're serious. fucking serious i am serious <laughs> oh i was just kidding but Okay. It's not gritty, but it is uh, it is a reboot. Okay. The, uh, the the movie I saw that had Michelle Trachtenberg and Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell. Those are the, the big songs. Yep. Yeah. It was the first Nickelodeon movie, I think. It's, it's, so it got marketed very heavily on Nickelodeon. I think there was a Harriet's... I t could totally be clashing memories in my head um, from that, you know, gummy period of six to eight years old. But 
uh, I think I think there was a Pop Tart uh, box that I I had that had Harriet the Spy on it, telling me to that go see the movie. Right. Never saw well, it. Uh, you know what? I also I did want to see it because uh, Trachtenberg was on Pete and Pete, uh, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which I was a big fan of. So I think and and t- I'll be honest, I also watched the Rosie O'Donnell show all the time uh, as it was my favorite she, my favorite daytime talk show. She <laughs> I, I didn't have a favorite daytime talk show, but maybe I was still a little little younger than you guys, but. But Rosie O'Donnell was so huge that, yeah, it felt like this is a it's the first Nickelodeon movie and it's got like a really big celebrity in it. It felt it felt legit. But yet I still did and not see the film. If you're a fan of Giant Beret, she's wearing one in the movie. That's all I remember. Oh, which right. Lisa is, too, in this. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. That's what college students do, right? They, they wear berets. Uh, so, yes, uh, this is when it's time to watch a Itchy and Scratchy, which is where we got the opening clip from. Uh, this is Carl Wiedergott doing The Professor. It's why it doesn't sound like any of the other characters. In case in case you're new to the podcast, Carl Wiedergott, he at the time was coming in to help with table reads. And so he'd read for some characters. And their thank you to him was they'd give him random roles every now and again, even though it'd be easy for this professor just to be Harry Shearer or Hank Azaria. But they, they give it to Weeder God. And it, it was always fun to hear his voice because you're like, oh, that's a voice you don't normally hear. It's a new spice. Uh, and he gives says this uh, cartoon is D-A-B-F-O-6. This, that which is the episode code for this season, this episode's code is D-A-B-F-15. D-A-B-F-O-6 for Simpsons was the Bart Wants What It Wants, the uh, the Canada episode. They're there for 90 seconds. Yeah. It counts. <laughs> the Simpsons go to Toronto for 90 seconds. But this, I like how uh, this does feel like going back to old Itchy and Scratchy shorts, and that's unsettlingly gory. And Lauren McMullen is the one who came up with the idea of Scratchy being processed through all the stomachs and like disintegrated more and more, and it looks great. It, it, oh. It's also gross as hell. It is horrifying. Like it is like this pure dehumanization of him. Like uh, hair first, then skin, then organs, and then it's just bones. <laughs> yeah. That again, that's the McMullen difference. I think that she really can bully al jean to going like hey i want to do this cool thing in the show well okay i guess you you were the president that's what he sounds like and you know uh, don't play al jean this when we ask him they, they hit on bubble boy a bit too late uh i can't believe they did and i can't believe it's not butter joke in uh, 2002 oh my god i mean amish jokes too were pretty played out at the time but yeah i can't believe it's not butter joke in 2002 you're right it's uh and you know also with itchy and scratchy in season 34 they did their first uh itchy and scratchy in forever and it was really interesting because they overly animated it like they animated it in a totally different style than the show like there was extra movement to it it, it felt like somebody told them like no animate this like it's a disney short mm. it's mm. uh mm. it's interesting i would i would actually enjoy if they had stopped making the simpsons after season eight or nine and then it was just itchy and scratchy for the next 30 30 years <laughs> i love i love the itchy and scratchy shows and this was a good one like i said i i, I thought it was actually pretty fun it needs to have the blood and guts though uh yeah to be, yeah so yes uh just as we extrapolate so many things from cartoons they try to extrapolate that this is uh that uh, it's obvious that this is about how uh, the ecological destruction is pitting farmers against each other <laughs> uh and i also love birds say tweet that lisa writes down birds tweets an arrow of tweet that. that's a good thing <laughs> but then millhouse rats are out for no other reason than he's a jerk <laughs> okay freeze there so what does this cartoon mean It shows how the depletion of our natural resources has pitted our small farmers against each other. Yes, and birds go tweet. What else? 
Hey, mister, put the cartoon back on. I'm sorry, boys. We don't allow children in this class. What about Lisa? She's only eight. <gasps> Lisa, did you lie to us? I just wanted to belong. For once, I felt I was with intellectual equals. I can't believe I cheated off an eight-year-old. <gasps> I guess we won't be biking through Italy. <laughs> She's worse than that 80-year-old who pretended to be a freshman. I just wanted a place to sit down. <laughs> that's a good act break joke. Yeah. That's not illegal for an 80-year-old to be a freshman. <laughs> like, Non-traditional. Is is that is that the first um, uh, identification of Mulman's actual age? I'm curious if it's ever been. Mm, you know, I think they're just guessing at that because we also yeah. heard that he's in his mid 30s. Uh, yes, that's it, what, what I was thinking of. I think they didn't want to end with the emotionality of Lisa here, and instead of like, hey, let's get Mole Man in here, let's have an old Mole Man. Joke. I'm always up for 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 a Mulman joke. It, it made me laugh. I like that the removing of the beret is when they realize, like, wait, Lisa's a child. That was cute. <laughs> That's a good joke. That was cute. But yeah, like like we've said so many times now, Tina and Carrie just completely turn on her and are just like, oh, fuck you. And like, and they never return. They just are done with being Lisa's friends. They, they're they mad that they lied to her, that they cheated off an eight-year-old, which, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It, it just makes them very vapid characters, which not to say there aren't those people like that in college, but... It's just a, a sadder ending, really. And then we go to Act 3, in which uh, the plot turns from Lisa needs to find smart peers to hang out with and feel validated, to Lisa needs to become popular again. And my question is, uh, was she ever popular at school? It's like she's identified as not having friends, and then when she comes back, she's like, nobody likes me, oh no! <laughs> also, it's, Everybody also it's, on me. it's three kids. It's not like... Just, yeah, there's three kids who didn't like that she was going to college. It was Millhouse and the other two nerds. It's, it's not like the whole and school. She doesn't consider them friends. No, either. no, she doesn't. So it's uh, yes, it's a little bit of a of a desperate third act. When the episode already hinges on Lisa is lonely and she's happy to make new friends, you can't then have a third. Or it's tricky to have a third act that's about Lisa has to win her friends back. The ones yeah. we said in this episode, she doesn't have. Yep. My my own thought, like, I, I think you're totally right, Henry. This was a third act uh, rewrite. I, th I want to believe in VD script. And hey, we have his email address. Let's, let's, let's ask him. Mm. Uh, I feel like Lisa's story was revolved. Uh, sorry, Lisa's story was resolved with the girls. And maybe it was Bart whose superhero thing backfired. And he needed to get, to get back into the good graces of his friends with a prank. Right. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, and... And they, they wanted, like, oh, maybe they were running out of time. And they're like, hey, you know, the third act's not big enough for both of these things. So what do we cut? Emotions or a big prank? And uh, they they went with cutting the emotions. I do like this scene. is kind of the, the scene that opens Act 3 is kind of a parody of parents yelling at their kids of just like, how many credits did you earn without our permission? <laughs> 16. Ah! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean... The Marge is like all these. The reason she doesn't want Lisa to be at a college is because of the syllabi. Like not, not for real reasons of like you're an eight year old surrounded by adults all the time. Like that's bad. Like bad things could happen. She, she instead lists silly reasons of why she would be upset, which is funnier than uh, dark reasons. We're also forgetting that Al Jean did go to Harvard as a child. 
That's right. He's a Ben Shapiro type. I, I keep forgetting this. Like he's he was in Harvard at age sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, Al Al Jean is a very smart man. He jokes that he did it just to get out of town, and he I mean definitely these jokes about friendlessness come from a real place for uh, Al Jean growing up too. He was a big nerd who had uh, who also I th- I believe he's told stories of having at least for some part of his life headgear for braces uh, teeth braces as well classic uh, he but yeah he also got into harvard at age 16 like it which is pretty nuts what the, you weren't how many credits without our permission 16 Oh! College is no place for a young girl with those quadrangles and study carols and syllabi. Doogie Howser went to college when he was my age. Against my wishes. But the atmosphere there was so stimulating. It was a bustling marketplace of ideas. Oh, and this kitchen isn't? Well, I put those Cathy's on the fridge for you. I don't even like them. They've gotten so smutty. Oh, sure, when a man does it, it's smutty. But if a woman did it... Homer, Kathy is a woman. Oh, come on. You're right. <laughs> yeah, also, this bit here of, like, Doogie Hauser went to college when he was my age. Against my wishes. <laughs> That's a good line, too. Then we have a mean joke about Kathy looking like a man. Uh, I thought, I thought, um, I wouldn't have found it particularly funny, but I thought for sure that Homer was going to look at each one and then say, Ack. And then he, he, oh, he didn't. He just, he just, he just, he just, uh, he doesn't even say dough. He, he says, oh. Or something like there's no, no... It's more just a shudder of like yeah, yeah 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 just to make it really clear kathy is ugly folks yeah yeah i thought he was gonna say ack i thought that was what it was all <laughs> why is it kathy if he doesn't if he doesn't use the use the catchphrase i don't know say the line homer also what a lib thing for lisa to call college a marketplace of ideas <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, it, yeah, it, she's yeah just... that's what i mean it's it's all kind of like vague you know like she's she's not really totally ideologically defined which is fine it's a cartoon but you hear some stuff you're like mm, that's not really that's not really what a what a lib would say uh in, in this scene and then in the other scene it's like oh I, th- I thought she was more you know of a progressive and she says something about marketplace of ideas you know so it's it's kind of a little scattered she's ready for the opinion column of the new york times though that's what i mean is that she she yeah. goes from being like a genuine sort of like sort of lefty dissident in the early seasons to just yeah like a new york times reader you know she's like (laughs) smug in all the correct ways and she flouts her progressivism on on issues that are relatively individualistic you know and and that's then again robert pinsky wouldn't be in this episode if the writers weren't new york times readers because that's how they found out they could get him on the show that's the thing is like that's the simpsons the simpsons is basically you know smart lib smart libs that's that's what the writing stuff is and that's a-okay not that worried about you know the ideological composition of a funny show but it does kind of show itself sometimes especially maybe people of our generation you know no you're totally right i I think it's more that i think it's that uh lisa was always a projection of their own politics yeah and the these writers used to be young and hungry uh and uh you know not as rich and a little more to the left but now that they're all have been working on the show for decades they're all very comfortable yeah and they all have the rich white liberal politics we would expect them to have sure well and and not to, you know, make blanket statements about people we've, some of we've never even talked to on the show. I do think Al Jean is a little more rich and centrist than mm. 
the showrunner before him, Mike Scully, you know, he could go to some conservative, his seasons did go to a couple conservative places, but oppositely, he does come from a working class college dropout background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the guy who unionized the staff. So yep. he, he had more progressive and, and Dave Merkin is uh, certainly has a more progressive, uh, like anti-authoritarian streak in him that, uh, I mean, he, it was his dream to do the Stonecutters episode for, for instance. So I think, you know, with, within that general type, you see the little differentiations. Um, but it's, you know, like the old, the old truism is, you know, they're, they're all coming from that kind of Harvard lampoon, if not literally from Harvard, that, that general scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there, there are some differences. And I remember we talked about the, or the first one I was on, you know, who, who's the writer, George Meyer, right? George Meyer. Yeah. And yeah. he, he came at it from like the kind of anti-war angle, probably a, from his hippie days, you know, he, he, hung, he hung on to that. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some variety in, in, in what they He's try to Grateful say. Grateful Dead super fan that uh, George Meyer mm-hmm. as no. well. So, yeah, it's, uh, so yes, Lisa though is finding that all the other kids don't like her, that she's too college for them. This is where the Ralph rolling away uh, meme is from. I forgot. It's we're now in the area of like, oh right. Now I'm saying, oh yeah, that meme is from this episode uh, mm-hmm. in in this time in The Simpsons. Though I also forgot this great joke of Willie tries to comfort her, then smashes his rake in anger when he feels like she's big timing him, and then rakes and then his rake. It up with a new rake. <laughs> that's that's, that's a good joke. Yeah, that was good. We see in the next scene, Homer's trying to get Bart out of the tree by throwing his Frisbee up at it, which uh, that's that's a fun little kid thing. And and also great animation of when his gun falls out of the tree and shoots a pellet in his butt. He's like, ah, am I the, the good cheek? Lisa needs to get up into the tree to join up with Bart. And this is where McMullen and her team remembered, hey, Lisa's good at gymnastics now. What if she used that to get up into the tree? All right. For, forgetting that the tree, uh, wait, that's not the tree with the treehouse in it. It's just a random tree. You know what? There should be a treehouse in there. Yeah, they yeah. don't have two trees in their backyard normally, but this is a treehouse free tree. Hmm. It is. <laughs> it is kind of... It, it's it feels like a different episode that she and i know the simpsons has the the almost formula of starting with a completely unrelated you know catalyst and all that but it, it i totally forgot this was the one i just you know 20 minutes earlier saw the gym the gymnastics thing in it i was like oh yeah it's fine. Yeah, even even if the the show has like the first act twist that leads you into a new story, the characters' needs will be the same. The, right. they'll, they'll have started with a need and that will resolve, but the need changes drastically between acts two and three. Yeah, they, it's funny. They've had so many times where they remind Homer, like, didn't you do this to the, because of that? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, though, as uh, as far as clever writing goes, I do like that this scene starts with Lisa doing the what would be good writing of like you know what? Both of us have these same problems. And then Bart goes like, no, I'm actually more popular than ever now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, this is when Bart decides, not unlike in Lisa's rival, Bart is going to help Lisa with a prank. Poor Bart. I know just how you feel. Isolated, alone, cut off from everyone. Are you kidding? This little baby has made me more popular than ever. Hey, Bubble Bart, looking good. Call me. The bubble makes everything shimmer and glow. You can't believe what that sunset looks like to me. That's not a sunset. That's a bird on fire. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Oh, I wish I had some place to call my own. No one wants me around anymore. I know a way you can win back the kids at school. Really? That's wonderful, but how? All you gotta do is play a prank on the principal. Well, I can't do it tomorrow. There's an assembly in his honor. 
<laughs> We've got a little planning to do. Step into my office. Ew, Bart. It wasn't me. Got a fart joke on the show there. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the bird on fire was once, that's a plane going down, but uh, changed for obvious reasons. Yeah. Oh, okay, because that's a better line, but there you have it. Man, do you think they said that at the table read on September 11th? And then they're like, Ugh, you know, and they instantly hey, pull September out the 10th. red marker. It was the 10th. <laughs> that's it right. was still safe to make a joke about oh, that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, that's so fucking. If it was uh, the 11th, Pinsky wouldn't be there. But uh, but of course, the use of that line is uh, another use for our jingle here. Yeah. Everybody hates birds, right? Yep, it's safe to kill a bird on screen. Well, off screen, but yeah, I a mean, feather that, floats on the screen. That fiery feather is uh, it, it remind, it lets you know of the suffering that's happening right off screen. I, I got to admit, I did not know you guys had a bird category. Uh, we do. Okay. There's a lot of bird violence in popular media. Once you're aware of it, you know they kill birds a lot for humor. Mm-hmm. Yep. we gotta, uh, Some animal has to, you got to nominate some somebody. You know, it can't be dogs, not, no. not usually cats. So yeah, it's birds. It used to be cats, but then the internet fell in love with cats, yeah. and we, we can't see a cat get thrown out a window anymore no, in the movie. Right. Man. Sometimes a, a, a dirty R-rated movie can have a, a mean, ugly dog, and maybe something back in it, like in Something About Mary. Though even in that, they didn't kill the dog at the end. The dog is like in a body cast or something in one yeah. of the last shots of it, right? Yeah. I remember in Mars Attacks, they kill a dog. They The Mar- Martians vaporize a dog, and it was uh, it, it, it hit different when you see that absolutely now the the episode has gone off the rails at this point uh our episode two <laughs> but uh I, I can forgive that because this is a great i, I love skinner so much yep. and this is a great showpiece of skinner uh being hated and not completely aware of it but also it is fun when he becomes aware of it it's been a good while since there was a really great skinner scene and this is like it's about skinner being boring it's about him being that everybody hates him and that also that it's uh the death date thing is pretty great too that and now he's died 13 years ago <laughs> yeah but uh, but yes the skinner has his big speech did they have to guess the date of my death can't you be a team player just once <clears throat> when i was starting out they said you're good but are you plaque good well today i can say yes i am Three, two, one. Thank you. I will now take pre-approved questions from honor roll students. Yeah, I got a question. How dare you wear white? I hear what you do at night. Security. Uh, get your hands off of me, white. What in Prince, daily fourth gradient. How about a picture of you on the cake for our society page? Now, normally I wouldn't go near a giant chocolate cake in my dress polyester, but with Bart Simpson safely encapsulated, I'd be delighted to pose. Look, up there, it's Lisa, and she's winning us back. They really uh, uh, a very funny on the nose line. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I, I like I like the reveal that Skinner has been the interim principal for twenty years. Yep. He wasn't supposed to be there that long. Yep. But even on the commentary, uh, I mean, we're giving this episode a lot of guff. But I also like on the commentaries when they're like, "Well, this wasn't very good." They do joke about how a two thousand and one parody at this point in history is very tacky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Selman is one of the. I mean, 
also to the needle earlier in the episode they had the needle drop of pink panther and so yeah here's the other obvious one of also sprock zarathustra yeah which is like so obvious like you can't especially if it's after the year 2001 it's really too late to do a 2001 <laughs> Uh, I do like the staging, though, of when the bubble is being rolled, it looks like Bart is inside of it, but then you pull back and it's Lisa, and that's a very tricky thing to stage to look effective, and it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's an amazing, like, shot. Like, uh, McMullen laid this out so well. Her and her team laid it out so well. No, it was just her. Just her. Just her by herself. the only one who did it. (laughs) Yeah. The, The reveal of you think Bart is about to do it, but then you see that he's outside of the bubble and Lisa's in it. Like, that's... That's really great. I also really love the the Martin Prince when he's there as for the daily fourth grading. He's like, well, I'm an old time newsie from like 1937. And I love like for the society page. And he gives a little wink when he does it. That's fun, too. He has one of those old cameras with the the telescoping box in the center. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's again. Also talk about the animators being tasked with doing something and doing it great. Slow, as we've said many times slow motion sequences in animation are way hard to do uh that for the reasons of animating something is movement in frames and if you do something in slow motion movements that you could pass over because you're only doing like two frames of animation a second now have to be extra embellished and it takes a lot more art it's it's more than twice as hard to slow something down to half speed in animation to make it look good so again the slow motion move of skinner as he realizes what's about to happen is such a great shot too and when all the cake hits him that's really i mean the level of detail on him being covered in chocolate cake is really well done yeah, Lisa smashes into it, and now she's popular again? Yeah. Question mark? That, like, that was the problem the, the entire time. They're all chanting, Lisa, Lisa. It's like, this doesn't get her back to where she was, and but they don't treat it like, now I'm finally popular. Or she says, I don't know, this could be even covered with just an internal monologue from Lisa of her saying, like, I don't need those college kids to feel accepted. I've got all my friends here. Something like that. But I guess then there wouldn't be time for weird jokes with Bart on a roof, I guess. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, Skinner is taking down a whole peg in our final clip here. Oh, I've been taking down a peg. A whole peg! Good going, Lise. And it sure is great to be out of that bubble. <laughs> sure is sunny. Was the air always this fresh? I'm just gonna hang out in this vent. <sighs> Does this thing suck or blow? sure does bart yeah sure bart is suck. evaluating the episode at the end does this episode suck no or does it blow oh it sucks uh, hey you know what bob now i like that line better it seems them commenting on this episode their feelings on the episode yeah it's it's uh. it's interesting to know when they they are themselves open about some quality issues I think we talked about that last, or the, again, I keep saying last time, uh, the last time we talked about a newer episode or a, a later episode. The trouble is, is just that I think as we discussed then, y- you you can't quite declare that this is all for the paycheck and we're just killing time without it eventually seeming like, well, then why should I watch it? Like if the writers are saying, yeah, what are you going to do? Then the viewers might be like, yeah, you're right. I'm walking away, you know? <laughs> yeah. Eh, well, if you don't care, why? Well, yeah, if you... Yeah. 
it's a it's dangerous to tell the audience too much you don't right. care which is why we care so much mm-hmm. we really sure. do i'm not just doing that for a joke sure. we really do care guys. sure but, sure yeah, yeah it, it surprised but, me the third act you guys told me like yeah it's got a very bizarre third act and so i i kind of went in thinking okay i'll be on the lookout and it still caught me off guard i still just thought wait wait what she's doing what why is she doing this and then it's over and skinner's covered in, in chocolate and i thought yeah okay fine whatever which again like the reason she went to college is because she does feel better than all of these kids like yep. and so when they say like oh you think you're better than us she should be going like yes i am i liked it at college like, it needed some <laughs> kind of james l brooksy scene where she realizes she was wrong about that and blah 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 so then she's gonna make amends and then she can do the funny prank at the end but it's missing that connective tissue james l brooks was too busy working on a script for spanglish at this time well oh, thank god he thank god he did that <laughs> saw that in theaters too oh really yep. you know that one i never seen i, I never saw it either yeah. i didn't get it yeah this uh, episode i will say we're heading towards the end of season 13 i think season 14 is better and season 15 is even better this is like such an uneven and rough season and it, again it's funny that uh, a lot of fans who unfairly hated mike scully saw the return of algene is like finally back to normal and this has just been a crazy and uneven season so far mm. and this episode in particular with just these wild uh these wild third acts uh you know 180 degree turns i just don't like them and they really they really destroy any plot that's trying to be uh told here and i really want to know once again what john Vitti was trying to do because he is one of the best simpsons writers who is not named john swartzwelder mm-hmm. i would love to see john Vitti's first draft and see what choices led them to this instead and i think that Vitti, yeah i mean not saying like he's great every single time he writes a script but i'd say is uh in the classic era and in other shows like king of the hill his written episodes are usually some of the strongest there are and i think that his i think that he handed them a script and then they kind of uh you know pearls before swine is a mean way to say (laughs) it but i do feel like that they they did not appreciate what they had and they re overrode it too much in wanting to just have a wacky uh ending and i mean at least that mcmullen when tasked with at least a more visually interesting ending than than an emotional climax of lisa and and her old friends at least mcmullen did a great job with the crazy giant prank at the end i think that once something becomes an institution as the show had truly become at that point the individual writer matters less you know it's interesting to look at what might have happened or been cut or what an original draft might have been, but they're all kind of they're all kind of slaves to the reputation of the show at that point. So it, it, as as corny as it is, 2001 joke, it's not great, but it greases the runway to get to the end of the episode. You know, it just works. Like people don't laugh, but they go, I get it. Like that works. It checks out in my mind as what would happen in this moment when everyone's looking up and seeing someone do something uh you know from high up and that's what lisa's doing so we do that we just and and it's because it's got to run it's a factory you know at this point and so i i think the individuality of any writer kind of at that from this point on is probably greatly greatly reduced and it's it's not it's not their fault but it's an assembly line at that point you gotta just keep it rolling uh, hey you know i think uh some funny stuff got through in this though there's still there are some good jokes there's some yeah. funny yeah. stuff two, two memes survived and two memes and that's really yes. all that really matters in a show's longevity what now can become a meme are they are they talking about two of them are the ralph two ralph moments yes yeah, yeah. the the ralph roll and the ralph the ralph uh, roll. nation uh <laughs> yeah. yeah i, I it's, it's weird not- i've never seen i've never seen either of them and i'm I'm somewhat up on on what gets gift in The Simpsons, but I guess uh, 
I guess uh, maybe I have Ralph muted. I don't know. I haven't seen. Well, it. if if you're on Twitter, uh, whoever the person of the day is on Twitter, look at their tweet where they're saying something hateful or stupid. Just keep scrolling until you see the Ralph rolling down the hill mm, bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I've been blocked by current target of that Bethany Mandel. Mm. I, got, I got blocked by her a while ago, so I can't. Mm. I can't see all these funny. I need all these screenshots of her stupid tweets of the last ten years to mm. laugh at. Well, it's either it's, it's either the Ralph gif or the gif of Buzz Lightyear saying there are no signs of intelligent life anywhere. Oh yes, sure. yeah, sure. got him. <laughs> oh, or this or the SpongeBob chicken one. You see that too? Yeah, Sam? yeah. All yeah. the hits, all the oh, hits. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much, Brendan, for being on this long episode of Talking Simpsons. Please let us know where to find you online and more about your amazing podcast blowback, which I think our listeners will love if they haven't heard it yet. Thank you. I'm sure that they will. Um, yes, the show is called Blowback. You can find seasons one through three on any place you get your podcasts. Season four will be coming uh, this summer. We'll announce a start date at, at some point soon. And uh, it'll be behind a paywall for a little bit. We'd love if you signed up. Uh, and in the meantime, why not listen to seasons one through three? The first season's on the Iraq War. Second season's on the U.S. War against Cuba. And the third season is about the Korean War. And in the meantime, I've said about three times now, I'm not on Twitter that much. But you can find... Uh, some stuff of you know promoting the show and retweets of the Simpsons and King of the Hill screenshot accounts uh, that I basically only follow now at deep underscore beige uh, on Twitter and uh, that's where you can find me there. No, we're uh, I the second season three came out I sped right through it listen the whole thing and it's such a great uh, if you sign up for the you know the bonus stuff too you get a real fun balance of like you get you you guys you guys are funny in the 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 bigger history things but also when it's when it's time to soberly talk about like death count the body count or whatever it uh you guys aren't clowning around too yeah. much mm-hmm. today, but but then on the bonus stuff sometimes you cover like you know crazy propaganda movies yeah and then it can be a whole lot of fun yeah yeah we have so we have guests uh, i should you did a better plug than i did henry uh yeah the, the if you sign up if you sign up you get bonus stuff uh you get 10 bonus episodes so sometimes it's experts on the you know the issue of the season but also we like to have uh we like to have movie apps we've had bill corbett on we've had uh my old buddies uh matt and will and felix on from chapo so sometimes we yuck it up as well and uh if you if you like that kind of thing and you like history uh then and you can go to www.blowback.show and uh, sign up this summer. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Thank you, guys. I, I feel like I'm going to get mad all over again <laughs> about a thing I thought I was too mad about. And then I'll be like, no, I was not mad enough about this. It's thing. a fun mix of being mad while enjoying something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's 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 what I that that's what everyone who knows me, you know, knows that I'm good at. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. Brendan. Yes. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Brendan James for being on the show. Please check out Blowback. We love it. It's a fantastic podcast. But as for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get these episodes one week at a time and ad free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You'll get just that. But also you'll get new monthly podcasts. Those are Talking Futurama and Talking of the Hill, as well as access to the entire archives of those podcasts. And basically everything we've done on Patreon for the past nearly six full years of having this Patreon. That includes full series about the critic and Mission Hill and also our uh, previous miniseries about Batman the Animated Series over 20 episodes of that waiting for you at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons and there is a $10 level as well when you sign up for that you can access all of the $5 stuff naturally but also you can access one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that Henry? 
Bob is talking about the What A Cartoon movie podcast where we cover an animated feature film very in depth just like we do an episode of The Simpsons often for over five hours or six and a half hours in the case of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Each month we do a new one. This month you'll hear us talking about Chicken Run, the great Ardman film from the year 2000. The month before that we talked about Batman Superman World's Finest, the first animated meeting in the DC Bruce Timm universe of those two classic characters. And we have a gigantic back catalog over 50 episodes episodes at your disposal all very long and super in-depth going into their history and scene by scene films as varied as akira to a goofy movie spider-man into the spider-verse to beavis and butthead do the universe so so many great ones you need to check out for yourself please head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons today to see what you're missing as for me i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo and my other podcast is retro knots the classic gaming podcast all about old video games you can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there for access to two full-length bonus episodes every month and henry how about you follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g i'm always tweeting up a storm there and you can follow on twitter at talk simpsons pod to stay in the loop whenever new podcasts go live on the patreon the free feed if we have any big news going on and the same goes for instagram follow at talk simpsons pod there as well and if you want an easy to explore list of all the previously released free episodes we've done of talking simpsons or what a cartoon please head over to talking simpsons podcast.com thanks so much for listening folks we'll see you again next time for the latest episode of our community podcast talk to the audience and we'll see you then so good. Can you take me to the hospital? Finally, we're doing something I want to do.